This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. first 2017 and continuing our year end extravaganza this is Quentin Moody here and we're going to be doing the top 100 matches of 2016 and with me is the second two-time guest from sports entertainment shrinks and a writer for wrestling with words Brock Brock how are you and why did you agree to do this (laughs) <laughs> I didn't, I don't know if I necessarily agreed to do it. Uh, you and Trask, who has uh, completely backed out of this process. As, uh, approached, as, as a smart man would have. Oh, he, he was definitely the smartest of the three of us. Uh, you guys approached me, I want to say it was like at the end of November, and said, hey, you, do you want to do like a, a big podcast for the top 100 matches of the year? I was like, yeah, sure, that's fine. And then as time wore on, and as I started developing a list, and... Uh, as the world went to shit in greater and greater ways, uh, this became an arduous process, and it's too late to back out now, and I hate myself for it. Yeah, um, so because I talked about it way too much, even though I hate the fact that we're doing this, we kind of have to at this point. Yep. <laughs> so That's why you never talk about things until they come out. <laughs> You never hype things. I've learned my lesson because I was like talking about this for like two or three weeks. Every podcast I was on, me, <sighs> Brock, and Trans are going to be doing this top 100 special. You know, I'm going to die. Yep. But I'm probably still going to die after this. But yeah, this this will be it for the two of us. Yeah. So top 100 matches of 2016. Obviously, that's a lot of wrestling to have mm-hmm. ranked in order, and that we're going to talk about. The- it's interesting because it's like. It's a lot of wrestling, but it's also not a lot of wrestling. You know what I mean? Like, as I as I've formulated this list, there are huge gaps of stuff that I just, I didn't get around to seeing. And it, it's a shame. Because 100 is a lot, but it's it's not as much as you'd want. Yeah, because, like, even though I didn't total how much wrestling I watched in 2016, I know that it was a lot. And yeah. now that I'm, you know, counting or tracking every match I watched in 2017, already in three weeks in, I'm at over 100 matches. Woof. (laughs) So, I'm probably going to slow that pace down. But, just if I kept that pace for the entire year, that'd be an ungodly amount of wrestling to have watched. So, imagine narrowing all of that down to 100 matches. It's rough. It was was tough stuff for the two of us. Uh, So, with that all out the way, I have a few questions before we actually get into talking about our matches. So, what was your process like for filling out this list or if there actually was a process like were you actually going for matches that you remember liking a lot did you rewatch things did you uh think that something that was a just a like technically sound match made it like was Mm -hmm. there any real thought that went into like you know creating a list like this uh well i uh before i even started writing for wrestling with words and before i was even truly uh involved with the 
you know, Twitter or internet wrestling community. Uh, I had a blog that I update uh, very infrequently called Brock's, uh, Brock Hates Wrestling. And it's just from, uh, it's not necessarily for anyone else. It's just like, I wanted to start keeping track of things that I watched and things that I reviewed. And I, I wanted to like leave my thought process out there. So I didn't like years down the line go, did I even watch this? Did I like it at all? Like, I just, I like, I like keeping track of things. Um, and so as I was watching wrestling throughout the year, and reviewing them for that blog, I was kept a track of matches that I called quote unquote match of the year contenders. That doesn't necessarily mean that it like has a good shot of making my top 10, but it like, it's just something that I found noteworthy or interesting or like actually of a good quality. Um, and that obviously differs between people. Like I think a lot of the matches that I have on here are matches that aren't going to hit other people the same way and aren't going to thrill or interests or be compelling to other people the same way, but they're ones that on some level that I found um, worth mentioning and worth highlighting. So one thing here is that whenever people do these kind of shows, like a top wrestlers or top matches, that usually there's some there tends to be some kind of crossover. Totally. And we talk, we don't usually have, we don't always have the same opinions. We like, we like some similar stuff, but sure, not sure. everything. So how much crossover do you think that we'll have on something like this? Cause I personally <laughs> think that we might not cross 20 matches. Oh man, that's so little. <laughs> I don't so think we're going to cross 20 matches. Like as far as like crossover, that's like, I don't know. Like a part of me does believe what you're saying that we're not going to have, you know, one in five matches be the same, <laughs> but, uh, but I didn't, you and I both are big Lucha fans. We're big Dragon Gate fans. We're big Pearl fans. Like we, we have a lot of crossover, if not the same opinions, but we have a lot of like the general, uh, same interest. And especially towards the higher end of this list, I think certain things are definitely going to show up with a higher frequency, but I, I really don't know how this is going to go, Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> so with all that out of the way, Brock, are you prepared to die? Did you, uh, did you want to explain to the people how our working through this uh, list is going to work? I mean, we can, but if anyone's ever listened to the Greatest Wrestler Ever shows that were happening around March of last year, you know that if someone has a named person higher, we'll wait till when we get to that person in the higher spot. Uh-huh. You know, if, no one ha- if that person doesn't have that uh, match at all, then we'll just go ahead and talk about it. And if we happen to match on a certain match, if we happen to match on something, which I doubt. Oh, uh, yeah, that'll be weird. <laughs> if we happen to match on something, then we'll just talk about it then. But yeah, higher ranking, that's when we'll talk about it. Okay. So, Brock, are you prepared to die? I, I, I've i been waiting since uh, the day I was born. <laughs> so I embrace the sweet, tender... Fuck it. I don't I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. I, I want to die. Kill us already. <laughs> so the plan is that on this is over that we're actually going to go 100 to 51. Yep. So starting off, would you like to kick off the festivities? Sure. Uh, I think my 100th ranked match is one that I, I don't believe literally one other person on the internet enjoyed as much as I did <laughs> because I didn't hear or see anyone talking about it. And it was uh, Bray Wyatt versus Xavier Woods from WWE SmackDown number 883, which was uh, on July 19th. I want to say it was the first live SmackDown that they did under this new brand uh, brand split. And it was... Um, 
I don't know what it was about it. It was short and simple. It was like four minutes long, and it was in the midst of this Wyatt's versus New Day feud in which Wyatt was like slowly, uh, I don't know, like controlling Xavier's mind and perturbing him in ways that the, the rest of the New Day weren't noticing. And it, it was it was this strange match that managed to make these guys both look like great wrestlers and also further this bizarre storyline and managed to do it in under like six minutes of total TV time. It, it, it perfectly accomplished everything it set out to do. I really, I loved it. And it's my number 100. See, 100 is usually the vanity pick spot. And I must totally. say that's a, that's a hell of a vanity pick. It really is. <laughs> hmm. I'm not sure. I thought I would have had you beat on the vanity pick spot, but we'll see. So I, it's interesting. Uh, I was wondering if I should use my vanity pick spot to put something that a lot of people love that I didn't and try to start off with some controversy, but I did in this case. <laughs> oh, I think I cheated. I think I did that unintentionally, honestly. Nice. <laughs> like maybe like we'll talk about that in a few, but my okay. 100 is Cedric Alexander, Chuck Taylor, Jeff Cobb, Jushin Liger, and Tommy N versus Pete Dunn, Sammy Callahan, Matt Riddle, Brian Kendrick, and Tommaso Ciampa. And it's from PWG, and this is on night three of the Battle of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. The yearly big comedy, everyone got eliminated match. Yeah. You know, this, I would say, is maybe the most I've ever laughed at a wrestling match. Really? That's saying something. I love this match so much. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> and it's mainly because of the fact that Jushin Thunder Liger is in this match. <laughs> and there's so much ridiculousness surrounding this all-time legend, uh-huh. 50 years old. And 51. 51 years old. Mm. And Chuck Taylor and Tommaso Ciampa obviously have their history of Ciampa trying to put his thing, um, thumb in Chuck Taylor's ass. And it's pretty Jushin, like Thunder Liger's like offering his ass in place <laughs> of Chuck Taylor's. And Tommaso Ciampa is like, you're a bunch of Jushin Thunder Liger. Like it's like thumb in my asshole. It's <laughs> it's maybe the best thing in professional wrestling history. I mean, I don't think mm-hmm. there's anything close to it. But in all seriousness, like besides the comedy, there's actually some really cool interactions that happen. There you is, you know, when Jeff Cobb and Matt Riddle get in the ring, mm-hmm. that place goes fucking nuts. They have a good it, grapple fuck. Yeah, it's like quick, slick mat exchanges, and it got people really excited for what Riddle and Jeff Cobb could do in the future if they faced each other. Mm-hmm. I love this match. It's a whole bunch of fun. The most fun I've had in a wrestling match in a while. So, yeah, I had to, I had to squeeze it on here somehow. But sure, yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll go my ninety nine then. Okay. My ninety nine is Yuji Hino versus Minoru Tanaka from Wrestle One. Oh, okay. This is interesting. I I considered placing this on my list, but it narrowly missed the top one hundred. So this is a match that I'm sure wouldn't make a lot of people's list, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even like any higher than this. But I thought this was one of the better matches in Japan this year, well, in 2016, and it didn't get the buzz that I think it probably deserved. And sure. granted, it happened in Wrestle One, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. So nothing in Wrestle One was going to get like match of the year buzz. But I thought this was tremendous. Yuji Hino is selling his leg. Because Tenoru, Minoru Tanaka is just killing him. And Minoru Tanaka is a cruiserweight or was a cruiserweight in Russell 1. Yeah. So the story is Minoru Tanaka trying to chop down this mountain of a man. And Yuji Hino is awesome. He's this vulnerable beast 
that still has power and he winds up destroying Minoru Tanaka in the end but it's a great story and Minoru Tanaka like trying his best to chop him down and Yuji Hino still standing that's good stuff I didn't I didn't think I'm not, I wasn't sure if that was going to show up on either of our lists but I'm glad it did to uh to sort of ape one of your to, to ape your number 100 pick that is uh, a lot of fun and just a big silly comedy match I had as my number 99 Tetsuya Naito versus Toriano in the I think it was the semifinals of the New Japan Cup it, it was on uh, day sixth of the tournament which was uh, March the 12th it was like maybe maybe three minutes long it was just a lovely little comedy match in which these two big personalities interacted in front of a crowd that loved it and uh, didn't waste any time, made everyone happy. I love it. You love it. Everyone should love it. <laughs> That's an interesting pick because I remember at the time people were mad at it because everyone, well, most a lot of people don't like Yano and Tyler mm-hmm. or Tyler Bishstick. Because people hate fun. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's also, what it is. That's also true. And Naito has a character that works well with Naito, with um Yano Shtick. Like mm-hmm. out of anybody, I'd say Minoru Suzuki and Yano have great chemistry, but then Naito and Yano <laughs> is like right there too. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. So my number ninety eight. Yes, that's how numbers work. <laughs> Alright, thank you, Brock. You're welcome. My number 98 is TJ Perkins versus Kota Ibushi, the semifinals oh. from the Cruiserweight Classic. Wow, this this is kind of surprising how high this is for you. Because uh, I didn't love the matches a lot as much as a lot of people did. Granted, yeah. I still gave it four and a quarter. I thought it was a really great match, but it didn't hit me on a great level in that way. Okay. TJ Perkins... Came in basically as the underdog, and I thought it was a great way to put him over going into the finals, taking down Kota Ibushi, who for the entire tournament had been presented as the odds-on favorite. Totally. So, hot crowd in full uh, full sail, TJP and Kota are kicking the living hell out of each other. It's a really great bit of business in the semifinal and leads to TJP's eventual crowning uh, in the final against Mascara Dorada, but... It's a great match that a lot of people would probably have higher, maybe even top 20, top 15. Yeah. But it didn't hit me on that level. Well, it didn't hit me on that level either because it didn't make my list. (laughs) Boom. Uh, The number 99 match that I have... so far, we have we have matches that like don't make each other's lists. So like, if if I call something that you have, make sure to stop me, and I'll do the same. Uh, But my number ninety nine was speedball. Ninety eight. Oh, did I say ninety nine? I'm sorry. Yes, ninety eight. My number ninety eight was speedball Mike Bailey versus Ilya Dragunov from I think it was the first round of the WXW sixteen karat gold twenty sixteen tournament back on March the eleventh. It was um, in a lot of ways, this struck me as like the best possible. Bola match in 2016 that actually didn't happen in Bola because it was fast, it was fun. These guys didn't go too overboard. They managed to make this raucous crowd uh, even more raucous. They had a lot of fun with things. They teased future interactions that I think are paying off. Speedball's been back in WXW a couple times since then. Um, it was just a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I love these two kids, and I want to see more from them. Yeah, I thought this, that was maybe the best first-round match of a 16-carat, so I'm glad it <sighs> yeah, totally. some representation on your list. My number 97 is 
Ada versus Jimmy Susumu from Dragon Gate, and I believe this happened on June the 2nd. I think that's right, yeah. Did not make my list, so you take it away. Yeah, so I thought this was maybe the crown jewel of Ada's King of Gate run, which kind of rejuvenated him because he had been down in mm. the dumps for a while. And he, granted, he had the Akira Tozawa match that I have higher, but this one had one of the nastiest finishers that <laughs> I've seen all year. Yeah. And the match itself, you know, before we get to the finish, is tremendous and has a great build. And once they get going, it's a whole bunch of neat uh, transitions and Jimmy Susumu killing Ada with lariats. And, mm-hmm. and But when we get to the finish, uh, Ada goes for Numero Uno, which is his finisher. And he puts Susumu in a new variation that I believe is called Apocalypses, maybe? Yes, I think it's just Apocalypse, but yeah. And my God, that is a brutal looking submission. Doesn't look fun. He just has him tied up in ways that, you know, you wouldn't have expected to see anyone tied up in Dragon Gate since um, Biano um, Collection AT was gone. But, uh, uh yeah, rest in he, peace. <laughs> yeah, he, Ada destroyed Susumu and really put him, I thought it really put him over well. I mean, I'm not sure if I think it's better than the Tazawa match, but, really? the fin- but the finish was way more impactful, I'd say. Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was a very effective match. Like, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, like, uh, really high-octane, crowd-pleasing matches in Dragon Gate, but I, I think that kind of ranks up there as one of the better, like, finishing runs in the promotion in 2016. Yeah, for sure. So, your 97. My 97 is uh, sort of a similar match. It's another tournament match, this time from the WWE Cruiserweight Classic. It was the first-round match between Mustafa Ali and Lince Dorado. It was... Uh, Two Lucha Boys doing their Lucha thing, and uh, I really enjoyed it. It was hard-hitting, had some awesome high-flying that I I still don't think has been topped so far in, like, the Cruiserweight involvement in WWE right now, and uh, really enjoyed it. It was good stuff. My number 96 is Chris Hero versus Trent from PWG Bowie, I believe. Interesting. I have this uh, quite a bit higher than you do, so we'll talk about it later. See, here's the thing is that I was looking at my list, and I really wanted to get this match higher. Yeah. I probably would have had it higher if I rewatched it, which I never got around to. I think I only watched it recently, funny enough. Yeah, I, wa- I watched it like as soon as the DVD came out, so I have never gone back and rewatched it since then. But I remember at the time telling people, like, this may be the best Chris Hero match I've seen this year. Oh. It's, I, it's certainly up there, yeah. Because I thought this was amazing, but, you know, we'll talk about that whenever you get around to it. So, you're number 96. My number 96 was a certified Sammy Sprint, as it were. It was a Sammy Callahan versus Donovan Dijak from Beyond Wrestling's State of the Art show on February the 28th. Um, I love Dijak to death. I think he's quite possibly one of the best wrestlers in the world, not even just in America right now. And he is showing so much tremendous ability for only a couple of years in the business. And he went to war with Sammy Callahan and dare I say outdid him in his signature match. Yeah. I mean, I know Sam from, we don't know wrestling really loves this match. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Because it's pretty simple. It's straight ahead. Sammy working on Dijak's leg, Dijak selling. It's great. And the th- thing about Dijak is that he's so big. And yeah. you would think, and the general assumption is that when someone is big in pro wrestling, that they should be a big, menacing, towering heel. Uh-huh. But 
Dijak is a natural baby face. He kind of, I would say he skirts the line and, and beyond wrestling's booking sort of, um, sort of, I don't want to say exacerbates the problem, but it certainly plays up to that. But yeah, he's, you want to cheer the guy. Yeah. So it was a really good match and I'm not going to say it barely made my list, but if it was like a top 150, then it probably would have made it. Sure. Sure. So my number 95 is Will Ospreay versus Shane Strickland from Progress, I believe, Chapter 35. Third. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, take it away. So the thing about this Will Ospreay-Shane Strickland match is that it's in the midst of Will Ospreay's arc in Progress where mm-hmm. in all of 2016, he picked up no wins. He lost the title to Marty Scurll, lost to Thunder Bastard. He went to Japan, did well there, but then he came back and was never the same. Mm-hmm. And... It had been that Will Ospreay had been too cocky and too arrogant, and he just wasn't the same anymore. And here we have this match with Shane Strickland is making his progress debut, and they do a whole bunch of athletic things that I don't think anybody or many people can match in wrestling because these totally. two are just freakish athletes. But what seems to match over the top is that at one point, Will Ospreay t- like lands awkwardly, and he's selling his shoulder. And if you know the real life um, mm-hmm. injury problems of Velospray, you believe, oh shit, Velospray just hurt himself. Yeah, he is a uh, made of glass. Yeah, like really notorious for having a um, injury prone body. And they toyed with that. And Shane is checking and waiting, and you know, being a sportsman and letting the doctors check on Osprey. And then Osprey comes in and takes advantage of that. And he tries to do this underhanded thing to get a victory and he ultimately loses. And mm-hmm. I think it's a great progression, you know, no pun intended, and Will Ospreay's <laughs> and Will Ospreay's character getting more and more desperate as the year goes on. Yeah, yeah. I I never thought about it that way, but it does it does fit into that character arc in a very entertaining way. Right, yeah. Uh that was your number ninety six, correct? Ninety five. 95, okay. My number 95, I think, is a match you're going to have on this list, and it's a match that you recommended to me. It is Delta versus Galactar in a Lucha de Apuestas from Promociones uh, MDA on November 27th. Do you have it? Yeah, I have it a good bit higher. Okay, we're going to talk about that later then. So I will segue into another progress match, which was back on... January 24th from Progress, Chapter 25, it is a four-way women's match pitting Pollyanna versus Dahlia Black versus Ginny versus Tony Storm. Um, I had no intentions of watching this, much less reviewing it when I actually did. Uh, I just sort of like had it on as I was flipping through to get to the main event of this show, and it caught my eye and totally blew me away. Uh, totally blew me away. It, it reminded me a lot of like some of the classic ROH four ways, not like, not like the big main event, you know, Danielson, just like the fun, like the fun undercard stuff where it's like, uh, totally like easy money in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This was definitely an easy money match. Uh, it was, it was fun. It was fast. It was four colorful characters interacting in front of a crowd that wanted to see them interact. I, I really enjoyed it. Right. I love that match actually. I mean, Oh, it's so interesting. I didn't know Like chapter 25 is, Maybe the best progress show of, like of that year. Yeah, but like be, I, but, be, but because it happened so early, people kind of forgot about it. Totally, totally. It it it's dwarfed by some of the later stuff, but I I do agree that I think it's like head and shoulders above most everything else they did the rest of the year. So 
My number 94 is Isaiah Velasquez versus Chase Owens from Ooh, Freelance okay. Wrestling, and this is from their Big Trouble in Wicker Park show. So this is Isaiah Velasquez's first match after losing the Freelance title, and in the midst of losing the title, his stable beta turned on him. Mm-hmm. So essentially, this is the first time we've had Isaiah Velasquez as a babyface since 2015. Yeah, it's been a while. So, it's a fantastic match with Chase Owens, who's such an underrated worker, and people don't ever give this guy enough credit, but for lack of a better term, these guys just go out there and have a banger. Like, it's a hard-hitting match, a whole bunch of cool stuff happens, and great near falls, the crowd is super into Mm -hmm. Isaiah, and Mm -hmm. because he's not fully a babyface, there's this kind of contingent that is cheering Isaiah, and then the other half is still booing him because he's still been a dick. Sure. So at least for a great dynamic, and I think it was a great match, and it gets overshadowed by the main event on the show that I have higher. But it's a match that I was surprised that when I watched the show, no one else had said anything about it. That was a really stacked card. It it had to fight against a lot of big matches. Yeah, it did. And I think if this match happened anywhere else, people would be talking about it more. But because it had, it was a really loaded show Mm -hmm. that. Pretty much a great match like this got overlooked, and uh, hopefully people go back and watch it at some point, because that's a super underrated match, I think. It's good stuff. So, my number 93. This is the one I was talking about that I think may be a bit a little bit controversial. Okay. so I'm ready for it. <laughs> my number 93 is The Revival versus DIY from NXT Brooklyn. Whoa! <laughs> this is... My God, I did not think I was going to be the high man on this match. Okay. That is no, I'll, that's... no. I'll give the you know uh, tidbit that I do have the revival okay. versus DIY match from Toronto way higher, but interesting. I think I have it reversed. I don't. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. That'll. That's definitely. Those are some high rank matches. All right. That's so, uh, your number ninety three. Got me, got me hot under the collar here. <laughs> You're bringing the heat. <laughs> Uh, my number 93 was from the first night of Revolution Pro's Global Wars UK 2016 show, and it was Zack Sabre Jr. versus Katsuyori Shibata. Do you have this? No, but I'm actually surprised. I mean, maybe not surprised, but... Sure. No, yeah, I did not expect this. Um, I was... I had a weird situation uh, watching the series of matches between these two gentlemen, partially just because, like... I have a real on-again, off-again relationship with the two of them. And their first match started in a really interesting and compelling way that I loved before, I don't know, just falling apart into some of the most typical, uh, unappealing, like, trite, indie bullshit. Uh, And this match was a considerable step upwards. Still had some of the same problems because these guys are who they are. But um, it told an interesting story as Zack Sabre Jr. had to struggle uh, in the midst of his uh, upcoming heel turn against a competitor who is just better than him on every level. Yeah, that I would agree that it was definitely way better than the first match they had. And it's because that the first match they weren't really working off or anything. It was just basically going off of them have, like being a dream match, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So in the rematch, they have something to work off of where ZSJ only won the first match because he got lucky. Mm-hmm. Second one, he is getting torn apart by Shibata at first, and then he starts going after Shibata's shoulder. Uh-huh. You know, he has, like, these nasty scowls on his face, and he's... It's a really good Zack performance, and 
Shibata puts him to sleep. He yeah. is a real definitive win for Shibata, which I know when the results first came out for the show, that people were losing their minds that Shibata had just beat Zack Sabre Jr. I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to, to like in hindsight know what I felt then, but I'm not sure. It's one of those. I wish we had a time machine for a lot of reasons in wrestling, but this is one of them. So you're 92. My 92 is a match I'm almost certain you don't have, and it is a. It's a really emotional match for me. It's Billy Rock versus Trip Cassidy from uh, the School of Rocks for those about to rock show on November the sixth. Uh, this was Billy Rock's retirement match, and Billy. Um, was, I mean, still is to this day. He's still training, guys. So it's he didn't die. Uh, Billy, more so than anyone since like American Kickboxer and Tarek the Great back in the '90s, has been like so instrumental in professional wrestling, independent professional wrestling here in Indiana, and has been uh, training guys and booking shows and holding shows together and just being a positive influence on this scene and. Uh, it was it was really nice to see him go out on top on his own terms against uh, one of his best trainees and have a really um, I don't want to say blow away but a really nice sentimental uh, retirement match. Question: Were you at the show live? I was not at the show live. It, it took place like forty miles away from me, but I didn't get to see it live. <laughs> sadly. All right, fair enough. Uh, that was ninety two. 92. So, my number 92 was Kenny Omega versus Hiroshi Tanahashi from New Japan. This was on the New Beginning in Niigata show. Niigata. I did not have this, so it's all you. This was Kenny Omega's first official, you know, big match as uh-huh. a heavyweight in New Japan. And I think they, I think him and Tanahashi delivered something that uh, people weren't probably expecting. And this was a match that was I thought was really smart had great selling from both guys and down this like down the um, stretch it got marred by interference mm-hmm. and that's the only reason why it's lower because if it was just a straight up match between these two I think they could have done something a bit more clever but I think they did something a little bit more different a little smarter than people would probably give these two credit for uh-huh so yeah, I thought this was a really interesting way to move Kenny up the heavyweight officially. I remember um, I have a lot of mixed feelings on Kenny becoming a heavyweight and, you know, being this big deal in New Japan. But I remember liking this match a whole lot more than I thought I was going to. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people, you know, I guess if you're a New Japan fan, that you're excited to see this match. But totally. then people that aren't as a <laughs> product were like, ugh, uh, this sounds... Because sure. Kenny, Kenny Omega... Despite how much I like him, he came off a really weird run as a junior in New Japan. Yeah. So people didn't know what to expect, and I think they delivered something that surprised a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. It was solid stuff. Didn't make my top 100, but very enjoyable. So that brings us to the 91s. Almost done with the 90s. Thank my, my, Christ. So my 91 is Cerberus versus Hot and Spicy and Big Daddy Walter from WXW Back to the Roots. Ah, this is a good match. I didn't have it, but it's a good match. Yeah, so this is a War Games match, and if you know anything about War Games, you know how violent and vicious uh, it can be, and this delivered that in spades with Axel Dieter Jr. bleeding all over the place, Mm -hmm. Ilya Dragunov bleeding, a lot of great feud uh, continuation and payoff to some extent with uh, 
Walter cleaning house and just wrecking everybody and Robert Dreisker and Walter's interactions mm-hmm. just tearing it just tearing it up and two big guys just going at each other uh the Mac doing crazy stuff it's a really great match that captures the violence that you would want out of a war games match uh-huh WXW knows how to really bring that sort of like occasional hardcore match that really delivers yeah like you know and it's not even just like uh, this. Like, keep in mind that WXW used to run a lot of death matches. Used to, yeah, back in the day. <laughs> yeah, so it's like they know how to get violent. It's uh-huh. just that now they've toned it down because obviously there's no more Thumbtack Jack. There's no more BJW guys coming over. Yeah, so sad. Yeah, but but they can get really violent when they want to. And I haven't watched the latest War Games match yet. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited to get into that uh, soon because knowing WXW would probably delivered. Well, uh, speaking of proudly delivered, my number 91 match was a mid-card match from Fantastica Mania that was awesome, if if a little um, probably underwhelming to certain people. It was Jushin Liger versus Virus from CML Fantastica Mania 2016, day 6 on uh, January the 24th. Just, uh, I think it was under 10 minutes, it was like 10 minutes of old man lucha craps and <laughs> and both guys were surly and heated and uh we're looking to have a good time and it was just super enjoyable i love this style of match and, and this really gave me what i wanted yeah and you know you're just getting liger and virus grappling like you know uh-huh. that's all you need you know, that's, just, well, that's just fun stuff totally. you, know, you don't get to see liger do that often so yeah that's yeah i can understand that one for sure so you're 90 mm-hmm. My 90 was, uh, I don't know how you feel about this one, and I wasn't even sure if it was going to make my list at first, but it's a incredible chairs match between Kalisto and Baron Corbin from WWE TLC. I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it? Okay. Well, it's, um, I don't know, there are, certain, there are certain gimmick matches that I have like a fondness for that I think most people actually uh, hate, and chairs matches is one of them. Do you like stairs matches? Uh, it's it's sort of like the same kind of concept, and uh, I really love that <laughs> John Cena versus Umaga last man standing match, which is basically a stairs match. <laughs> so I guess I do, yeah. It's just I I don't necessarily blame the match type as much as I blame lazy booking and lazy wrestling. You know what I mean? Like it's not a dog collar match isn't necessarily bad because it's a dog collar match. It's because the guys doing it aren't putting their all into it. Right. Um. But this was this was two dudes who uh, were young and hungry and trying to prove themselves, putting their all into a chairs match. And it was low-key, really bananas. Like, it's, it, I, I think it's worth noting that this match felt just as crazy as the TLC main event between AJ Styles and Dean Ambrose that got, like, rave reviews. Interesting. Like, I watched i i think i watched dlc <laughs> like i'm not sure these pay-per-views button together so much oh i totally i know what you mean yeah yeah so i'm not sure but yeah maybe i'll go back and check it out at some point i have no memory of this at all though okay do so, you have memory of what your number 90 match was though oh that's a great transition uh, you may have this higher though so i'm not sure but my okay. 90 is donovan Dijak versus brian fury from beyond overnight sensation definitely have this higher we'll talk about this in a little while all right, cool. My number 89 is Mustafa Ali versus Isaiah Velasquez from Freelance versus The World 2. Uh, actually, this didn't make my list, which is kind of surprising, so you take it away. 
this was the coronation of Mustafa Ali as the guy in freelance. It's a great end to Mustafa Ali's kind of meteoric rise where he debuted uh-huh. in the promotion in January and he just got so over and was keep having and kept having great matches that they kind of had to put the belt on him. And it put an uh, end to the reign of, um, to the um, reign of tyranny of Isaiah Velasquez. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because a lot of people might not care about this or might not have picked it up. But the thing that makes this match so cool is that other than having insane spots where Isaiah is doing ridiculous things to Mustafa Ali, like a German suplex off the top onto chairs. Yeah. Like, the cool thing about this is that the match literally ends and Mustafa Ali wins literally minutes before three before um Isaiah Velasquez's reign hits three hundred sixty five days. Mm-hmm. Like that's something that's really cool to me that they timed it that way where it's literally, you know, minutes before a guy hits a year as champ. Yeah, it's it's a nice bit of you know, whether or not it was it was purposeful, it's a nice bit of lore. Yeah, you know, so I think that's really cool stuff. And then Ali winning the title is a fantastic moment mm-hmm. and it's super emotional. It's a great thing for a guy that, you know, like Ali, who was essentially retired at some point, came yeah. back and didn't had no intentions of being a top star and no intentions of being in WWE. And it's kind of the match that put the sample in Mustafa Ali's year. Yeah, yeah. Seeing, um, seeing Ali come back from really bad knee injuries, which I'm super familiar with myself. <laughs> uh, seeing him, seeing like this young kid who always stole the show on IWA Mid South back in the day when I was, you know, watching as a teenager. Like seeing him make this incredible comeback in 2016, and you know, regardless of how you feel about the WWE, like ascending to the highest promotion in the world that runs professional wrestling. It's, that's been a really, um, really nice and a really sweet thing to see. Yeah. That's something where if you, you know, even remotely remember Ali from appearing on, you know, Dragon Gate USA shows or like you said, South it's like, man, is that, is this really the same guy? Yeah. It's, 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 it's a world of difference between the two of them. So you're number 89. Number 89 is, uh, uh, another WXW match, and this time it's Timothy Thatcher versus Tyler Bate from the first Inner Circle show back on March the 10th. I uh, really I don't um, have this. I really I love WXW. I think WXW was probably the promotion of the year in 2016, and that's for a variety of reasons. But um, I, I love WXW because of their fan base. That even in a a tiny intimate show like this, that was I think like 40 people stuffed into their uh, training school. Uh, that it, they make for such an enjoyable viewing experience. And on top of that, we have a good 15, 20 minutes of Thatcher and Bate going at it with a grapple fuck match. Just d- wonderful stuff. Yeah, I have nothing but positive things to say about this match. So, you know, I have no problem with that. I'm actually t- disappointed I couldn't find a way to get it on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're number 88. Oh, I, w- I also I wanted to make mention of the fact that Thatcher wears the most ridiculous outfit I've ever seen <laughs> him wear in this match. He didn't have, like, his normal black trunks on. He had, I don't know, he had, like, some longer tights and uh, thigh-high socks on. It was it was a sight to see. <laughs> I don't remember this at all. Yeah, it's I, I, I rewatched it recently, and I was like, oh, shit, I, I didn't recall this. But uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. So, 88, I have, um, this always makes it onto my list, like, every single year, because I love 
big, fun Cybernetico matches, and it's the Land of the Plata semifinals from CMML, uh, CMLL Super Bienes on July the 15th. Um, it, it's just, you know, like 20 minutes of lucha goodness, of guys flying around and doing crazy shit in front of an, a lovely Arena Mexico crowd. Yeah, I, I'm usually, which is weird because I'm considered a lucha guy, but I've never, like, I don't really ever love Cybernetico matches for the most part, which is. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, I want to I try think, to watch more, but I've never really. I, loved I think that. a big, I think a big part of my love comes from the fact that I'm also a Chikara nerd. You know, oh, that's oh, of course. Yeah, they they play a huge role in Chikara. Yeah, yeah, then that's fine. I probably do want to try to watch more Cybernetico's, not Chikara ones where they go like seventy two minutes, but uh, <laughs> uh it's, that's that's a short one. <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> I, I recently rewatched the second ever Cybernetico and Chikara that went two hours. No, it was it was a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> My number eighty-eight yep. is Slim J versus Kevin Blue from Why We Wrestle. It was from their Fright Night show. I I have not seen this at all, so you're gonna have to tell me about it. So this is a batshit insane TLC match, and Slim J, who was one of the more parentally underrated guys of the last decade is doing some insane stuff. It's some of the more creative spots I can rem- I can recall seeing in a gimmick match in a while, mm-hmm. which is probably similar to how you feel about Kaliso versus Baron Corbin. Sure. Uh, and then crazy thing happens at the end where good old boy Billy Buck turns heel. Oh no, my boy. <laughs> yeah. I love Billy Buck. <laughs> Billy Buck comes out and super kicks Slim oh, no. J. And then, he buck shots him? Yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> it's crazy, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like oh, a, I love this match though. Like <laughs> that Billy Buck heel turn was so out of nowhere. And I have like no like attachment to the Southern Indie scene because sure. a lot of it like isn't available for me to watch on a regular basis. Sadly. But that one really caught me off guard and it didn't feel like a heel turn that didn't need to be like just like plum plugged into a middle of a match it felt like it actually helped it which is something i'm totally cool with cool so that is my 88 so my 87 is chris hero versus mark andrews from progress super strong style not super strong style night one this one barely missed making my list so you take it away quentin ah man chris hero ain't nothing to fuck with well, that's that. Let, and, let it be known. <laughs> and his debut match in progress just tears the electric ballroom down against Mark Andrews. And it's Chris Hero bully formula, yeah. but it's Mark Andrews who's, outside of Jojo Bravo, probably the smallest guy he's faced. And Mark Andrews is such a great baby face. So he, good. He bumps all <laughs> over the place. When he takes pile drivers, it looks like he's about to die. Mm-hmm. And it's Chris Hero beating the ever-living hell out of Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews firing up, and then Chris Hero putting him down for good with some nasty-looking pile drivers. Mm-hmm. You know, what more do you need, honestly? Yeah, I remember it being um, uh, a lot faster and a lot less uh, overwrought, I guess I want to say, than most Hero Bully formula matches, yeah, and I really definitely. appreciated that. Yeah, it was definitely, because it's in a tournament, it's not as uh, plotting. yeah. But it still is just as effective. Totally. Which totally. is something super neat about it. So 
your 87. Well, speaking of plotting, my 87 was a big old cage match uh, that you may or may not have higher than me. We'll see. It's the uh, Dead or Alive uh, cage match from Dragon Gate Dead or Alive on May the 5th, 2016, pitting Shingo Takagi versus Naruki Doi versus Yamato versus Kotoka versus Naoki Tanizaki versus Cyberkong, six of the members of the Berserk stable. I have this higher. Okay, we're going to talk about it later then. So my 86 then is another multi-man match, and uh, I don't I don't necessarily love the WWE big, you know, dramatic main event style so much uh, because it, it usually wears heavily on me. It feels sort of forced, but uh, on just a spot-based level, it can make for some really entertaining wrestling, and that's what happened with this Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar versus Dean Ambrose match from WWE Fastlane. It was... Uh, just three big over guys hitting each other a bunch. Uh, the Shield reuniting for the millionth time briefly. <laughs> uh, it was just a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I remember at the time I loved that match. And I thought Dean Ambrose was the best guy in that match. Uh-huh. He, he started 2016 real hot. Yeah, I thought he I thought he actively had a really good year. Like, you know. Oh, interesting. Cool. <laughs> yeah, like up until like... Uh, the Jericho stuff, like if we get if we just like get rid of that Jericho match at Extreme Rules, I think he had a really good year, all okay. the way up until the TLC match with Styles that we just mentioned earlier. It's uh, he had, I don't know, real polarizing guy, and I'm not sure if I can be objective about him. Yeah, that's fair. But but your 86, Quentin. All right. So my 86 is Mascara Dorada versus Caristico from Lucha Libre Elite. Okay, I didn't have this, though. I had a couple other Dorado matches. This one is great because Caristico had already had a couple of superheated matches in Elite. Mm-hmm. But this one was interesting because it's Mascara Dorada who doesn't play Rudo that much. Yeah. And these two are having a super, you know, heated match with high flying and then a lot of mass gripping which I always pop for regardless of how much it happens like like mass gripping is something that I will always get excited for it's fun stuff yeah mass gripping is the best and Mascara Dorada is a crazy person and Caristico he had a really good year and this seems like no one talked about it and this is another one of those matches where if I think if if it happened anywhere else I feel like people would have you know people would have been talking about it more I don't know if, like, Lucha Libre Elite is necessarily, like, underrated or not talked about as much as it should be because, like, they have some incredible, awesome high-flying matches, but I don't know. They don't get their due. Yeah. No, other than Rush vs. Park, like, I don't can't, I can't yeah, think which of we, Which we will definitely talk about. <laughs> yeah. Other than, other than Rush vs. Park, I can't think of any other Elite match that's gotten any buzz. I think uh, it didn't make my list, sadly, but like there was a Dorada versus the Reyes Scorpion match. That, yeah, that was that like, really awesome. Yeah, it's incredible, and it just, it, I don't know. People don't like Lucha as much as they should. All right, so my 85. So I'm going to assume you don't have this. Okay. But it's Zack Sabre Jr. versus Will Ospreay from Evolve 58. Definitely don't have this. This is on my negative 100 match list. <laughs> so I'll be completely honest. I soured on this match a lot. Oh, okay. So, you know, so initially I probably had it super high, but when I rewatched it, I wouldn't say I didn't like it, mm-hmm. but I just didn't care. So, what was it? Was it just that you had already seen all these spots before? Well, 
I don't, maybe, I don't know. Because obviously I've already seen Zack Sabre Jr. and Willow spray face each other a bunch of times. Sure. And considering that they face each other like four times after this, that it kind of loses that magic. But mm-hmm. I've gone back and rewatched matches a bunch. Like, I've watched, uh, what, just for an example, like Kenny Omega vs. Naito, I watched that match like five times alone, <laughs> like alone in 2016. Yeah. So... At some point, I could just have to admit that the match may not have been as good as I initially thought. What was good about it still, though? Because it still made your list, you know? Because I can't... Because it'd be weird for me to kind of disregard how it made me feel in the moment. Sure, sure. Yeah, so, like, for me to have liked it so much that I gave it, you know, four and a half or four and three quarters, and then not have it on my list, would it feel weird? Because it must have done something right to have made my... You know, to have made me feel that way in the first place. Totally, totally. Even if it doesn't hold up, like, it it made you feel good at one point in life, and that's, you know, that's commendable. Yeah, so I, I couldn't just, like, leave it off, so I had to okay. find a spot for it somewhere, and I knew, like, in, in good conscience, I couldn't have it above certain stuff, so yeah. that's where it wound up. Well, my number 85 was also a match from Evolve, and it was the catchpoint team of Drew Gulak and TJ Perkins facing off against Sammy Callahan and Zack Sabre Jr. from... Evolve 54, back on January the 23rd. This was the first round of the second chance tag team tournament that they were running after both of these teams lost in the first round of the Evolve title, or the Evolve tag team title tournament. Um, it was, I don't know, I have I have a lot of problems with Evolve, and I have a lot of problems with Evolve tag matches especially. Uh, they, they feel super long and super arduous, and uh, they, they just don't know how to keep things tight. And this was the exact opposite that, of that. It was it was compact, it was heated, uh, all four guys like stuck to their roots and did what they did best, and they kept it really fast and fun, and I enjoyed it. Great, I mean... I remember this being really good, but mm-hmm. because of what happened, what, what else happened over that weekend with Heroes yes. Eventually Divers, Callahan and Saber, and Hot Sauce versus Riddle, it got lost in the shovel. But, it totally did. Yeah, glad you have that because it's you know one of the least talked about matches. I think is probably you know really good. Maybe one of the better tag matches in all of his run uh, had run all year. Mm-hmm. And uh, to uh, <laughs> to switch gears a little bit to one of the most talked about matches. My number 84 is uh, Tetsuya Naito versus Kenny Omega from the semifinals of the G1 Climax. Uh, I, might have that, I might have that higher. Not sure. Do you? I don't know. It can't be that high. Like it, Maybe. No, one, no, no one liked this match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we'll talk about that like the second part of the show. So Okay. Yeah. So my 84 is Daisuke versus Buffalo from Guts World. You're going to... I... I this is one of those like endless amounts of matches that just slipped through the cracks for me that I wasn't able to see because, because you know we have to get this out in something of a timely manner. So you're gonna have to tell me about it. Uh, essentially, this is Daisuke bleeding all over the place and Buffalo beating the living hell out of him. Cool. And it's a super hot match, like you know, which uh, which is in front of a tiny crowd. Guts. Yeah, which which is weird to say for Guts World. Yeah, yeah. But Daisuke is so good in this match. And Buffalo, this was kind of his performance that made me realize that he was more than a man wearing a bull <laughs> headgear. He's super good. Like he he's, is he's a really legitimately underrated. good worker. Yeah. He is a he's really good at beating someone down way better than you would expect. He works mm-hmm. really menacingly, works convincingly, 
and then Daisuke is selling and he gets all fired up and he's bleeding and the crowd is all hyped up. It's great stuff, which, you know, you wouldn't expect from Guts World. Sure. <laughs> you're you're going to get some heat from a couple I mean, people I'm, saying I'm, that. I have, I, have a, I have another Guts World match higher than this, but oh. yeah, I had to, you know, have this match on because it is really awesome. I want you to watch this. Okay, I'm, I, it's one of those things that I'm just I'm, I'm gonna just have to get around to later that I didn't get a didn't get to see before we made this list. I really like Daisuke. He's a he's a really good pure baby face. Yeah. And uh, speaking of pure baby faces, wait, 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 mind that. I got baby three. <laughs> fine, <laughs> fine. I had a great segue warmed up, and you just all right. You just you just take it from me. Go my, ahead, eighty three. Yeah, all right. My eighty three okay. is Ricochet versus Desmond Xavier from A. Oh yeah. Yeah, you like that one? <laughs> it's a good match. I wish I had it on my list. It's really good. This was one of the matches where when I was done, I was just kind of baffled that people don't talk about Ricochet as a best in the world guy. Totally. Yeah. Because this is storytelling in the form of two guys one that one up each other with their high flying. Uh-huh. It's Ricochet who's established as the king of flight. He's the best high flyer in the business. Going up against Desmond Xavier who want to take that mantle and it helps that these two kind of have like similar looks uh-huh. that these are like our legitimate mirror images of each other mm-hmm. and ricochet is cocky and the best ricochet is when he's like he's a cocky prick so he's like super dismissive of xavier then xavier starts getting his offense in and they just have some incredible sequences it's great stuff that people wouldn't you know it does it has storytelling that people wouldn't expect from a match where it is essentially two high-flying guys. Yeah. It's like, I, I I wish I had it on my list, but like, it's, it's one of those matches that does what those Ricochet versus Osprey matches fail to do for me. That like it, it, this match doesn't make me roll my eyes constantly. It doesn't feel like super over the top. It doesn't feel like masturbatory and too much of, uh, too, 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 too. It doesn't feel too masturbatory to too much of a degree. Um, and it, yeah, it's just, it's really awesome action. It's one, one of the, I don't know. I, I feel weird about AAW in 2016, but this was one of the better matches in the promotion. Yeah. Sure. So your 83, my 83 before I was so rudely interrupted was <laughs> also from the G1 climax. And it was from the first day of the tournament pitting Hiro, uh, Yoshi Tenzan versus Tomohiro Ishii. Did you have this match, Quentin? No, I do not. And okay. I remember at the time people loved this match. And when I yeah. watched it, it didn't hit me on that level, probably because I was spoiled, which I will fully admit. But <laughs> just it was an abundance of good matches in the G one. That's yeah. what you mean? No, no, it was, no, not even that. Because um, oh, you mean the, you're spoiled on the ending? Yeah, like on the results, on the results uh, and stuff. So it was like, yes, okay, okay. Yeah, so it was like you know when all that stuff was happening, it's like ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I can I can see that because it's uh, this is like Tenzan's miracle run where he um, he asked his longtime life partner and tag team partners, Toshi Kojima to back out of the tournament so that he could, he could enter it one last time. Uh, and that made for a very compelling narrative in the G1 that I think has been lacking as of late. And, uh, it kicked off with this first match in which he went head to head with the stone pit bull and had an awesome, emotional, hard hitting match that left everybody happy. Yeah. Know the ending, but a super cool thing. And I don't know, one thing that bugs me about the G1 is that they really didn't do anything with the Tenzan story. 
Uh-huh. It kind of just look, fizzled out. He's like, look, you know, I understand that if he wasn't going to be in bigger plans, that's fine. Don't have to book him that strongly, but why do why do that whole story in the first place? I don't know. Yeah. But, and it's it's like he was he was one of maybe it's just me personally, but he was one of the better options in that group A block and it's like out of everybody in that group A, they went with Haruki Goto. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like yeah, uh, I, it's... Get, yeah I get it. <laughs> But I'll, but, I'll, but when we talk, but when I talk about um, Omega versus Goto later, okay. I'll talk about like I guess why I sort of liked what they did with Goto. Sure, there. sure. It's it's a complicated situation. Yeah, yeah. So you're 82. My 82 is a, another match from the land of Japan, and it was Ryuji Ito versus Kinkuro Hoshino in the main event of BJW's big sumo hall show, Ryo Gokutan. Okay, uh, so from... this is interesting because at the time, <laughs> yes. I remember you really loved this match. Like, yeah, like, at the like time, match, like match of the year contender for you at some point. Yeah, at the time, and you gotta understand, like I, I, I'm always super late on watching wrestling. Like this was in July of the year, and I, I hadn't even seen. I had missed so much, and so I was like, oh yeah, this is my top ten of the year. Um, and I thought he was going to stay there, but once I started catching up on things, I was like, "Oh, okay, so maybe this isn't <laughs> as great as I thought it was." But it was a, it was a very fun uh, underdog versus ace of the division match in which the Tubby like perennially uh, kept down Hanma esque, perhaps uh, Kinkaro Hoshino faces off against the guy who has ruled the deathmatch division in, in BJW for as long as I've been a wrestling fan and, and then some, and they have a really simple, but like super crazy death match that sees a couple really insane spots, especially one that I think Ido was really stupid to take. Um, but, uh, I, I really enjoy it. It's death matches aren't for everybody, but this is, I think this is like the simple kind of underdog finally winning the big one storyline that anybody can enjoy. So my number eighty-two is Ada versus Akira Tozawa from Dragon Gate, May eleventh. Okay, you take it away. And this was Ada and Tozawa's second singles match against each other. Yes, and I think yeah. These two have essentially a twenty-minute sprint. This is so insane, so fast-paced. Mm-hmm. Akira Tozawa with his snap German suplexes, Ada with getting in his submissions and. It's a really insane pace that they worked because when you look at a draw, draw are draws are usually, you know, uh, slower, more, you I guess you could say thought out. Uh huh. And this one doesn't waste any time. It doesn't have what you, some people point to as a pointless five minutes or pointless ten minutes. Literally, from the time the match starts, they are going at it, and I mm-hmm. think that's an admirable feat because a lot of draws don't do that. Yeah. So it's they throw a lot in this match. Yeah, so that's why I had it there because it's a great match, but it's a really great feat too that people, you know, it just doesn't happen that often. Mm-hmm. So my number eighty-one is Kento Miyahara versus Daisuke Sekimoto from All Japan Pro Wrestling, I believe, from May twenty-fifth. Okay, I didn't. I, I mentioned it before. Like, there's a lot of like gaps in my watching, but I just sadly wasn't able to fit a whole lot of All Japan on here. So you're gonna have to tell me about it. And this was Kento Miyahara and Daisuke Sekimoto having a rematch from the Champions Carnival, mm-hmm. which Daisuke Sekimoto won. So this was a tremendous match. Uh, Daisuke Sekimoto, this is probably his best singles match all year. 
and then Miyahara is coming to his own way faster than I think people expected him to. And they go out there and just tear the house down. Whole bunch of knees, whole bunch of lariats, suplexes. You know, you know what you you know what you're gonna get from these two. Totally. And it delivers, and the crowd is super into it. And you know, I it basically gave me what I wanted from those two. And when it gives me the stiff strikes and the fighting spirit and all that stuff that I want, <laughs> you know, then that's you know, it's good, it's good enough for me. And I really love this. Uh huh. It's it's fun stuff. Uh, my 81 was a a match that was completely the opposite of that. Actually, it was a uh, it was a nice little technical bout between Zack Saber Jr. and Timothy Thatcher from WXW's Dead End 15 on February the sixth. Um, I have, as I've mentioned before, I have a really complicated relationship with Zack Saber Jr. Uh, but I think his matches with Thatcher are noticeably better because Thatcher due to just, I don't know, his style uh, tends to rein in guys and make them uh, wrestle his kind of match. And Zach really excels in that sort of setting. Uh, he's a lot tighter. He's a lot more focused. He's a lot he's a lot more brutal. Like, there's, there's a couple, like, ankle cranks and leg cranks in this match that are frankly disturbing to watch. And uh, it's, it's lovely stuff. I love to see these two just wreck each other on the mat. Yeah, it's interesting that... Zach and Thatcher have really good chemistry, but it's a matchup Evolve hasn't really exploited too much. Think it's only been booked once. Yeah, and it was last. You know, it was in 2015, and uh-huh. honestly, that was like if I went if I went back and redid that list, that match would like make my top ten because I was like, holy hell, this is brutal. I wanna, yeah, I want to say I made like my 17th of 2015. It was real good. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I and, yeah those who have great chemistry in that match you just mentioned is really good too. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting that amazing spot for you. So that was your 80? Mm-hmm, that was my 81. Oh, 81, go ahead and put your 80 then. My number 80 was uh, sort of a surprising match uh, in that it was an ROH house show match, uh, but I tend to really enjoy these ROH house shows because they're so different from what the rest of the ROH product is like, and uh, I really enjoyed it. It's uh, Jay Lethal defending the ROH world title against Matt Seidel on the Conquest Tour from... March the 12th in the 2300 Arena. It's a really simple, straightforward match between two guys who I like quite a bit. Uh, they, they, I don't know, it's it's a textbook title defense that has a couple like really spectacular moments, like a, a very uh, surprising table bump that works to escalate the finishing run quite a bit. Um, it, it's one of those things that I don't think anyone really talked about too much, but it totally knocked it out of the park with what, with what it was trying to do, and it really entertained me. Yeah, I saw that match, and I honestly, if you were going to have a match from that show on your list, I wouldn't have expected it to be Lethal versus Saito. Do you but, have another match oh, on no, no, that no, show? No, 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 I don't. Okay. Like, if I was going to have a match, it would have been ACH versus Kushida. Yeah, that one, I don't know, I was. I felt sort of mixed on that one. It felt like those two knew they weren't having their best possible match, and that really, that really rubbed off on me. All right, that's fair. But yeah, I like that match, and yeah, I'm surprised of like not 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 that people don't talk about it, but even the people that watch that ROH house show uh-huh. aren't talking about it that much. Yeah, that was that was a really good show. I think that was like their second best show of the year. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. So my number eighty is the Miz versus Dolph Ziggler from Backlash. It's it's in retrospect, it's kind of nuts that I don't have any Miz matches on my top one hundred. Wow. 
Yeah, like he he was easily the best wrestler in WWE, uh, in my opinion, and he I don't know what it was. He just didn't manage to make my list. Huh. All right, but this is the best match of the Dolph Ziggler versus Miz feud for me, mm-hmm. mainly because after like you know as the feud goes on, Miz is doing the same stuff that he does here, and I tend to go with the uh, I guess original in this case. Sure, because in this match. The Miz is super vicious, he's focused, and he's doing Daniel Bryan spots. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> teasing that feud. Yeah, so he's sitting here doing the um, arm trap elbows, the drop kick into the corner. It's super good stuff, and it was Miz doing psychology that I think, in a think of way, people had never, ever seen him do it before. Mm-hmm. And Dolph Ziggler, people are... You know, iffy on him. He's on and off a lot of the time. Yeah. And I think Dolph here in this feud in general really was a great baby face. So that was that was it there. Crowd is super into it. And then the Miz wins. It's a case where I think a heel winning the match is what I prefer more. Even though the No Mercy match had the great moment of Dolph overcoming everything. Uh-huh. I kind of like the match where the heel still sticks it to the baby face, even if he, you know, cheated, like, a little bit. Sure. So, my number 79 is Negro Casas versus Ray Hechicero from Monterey. Ooh, okay. I wish... You don't I, have this? I think, I think this was my number 101, actually. Okay, you check. It's a, it's a, well, it's a shame that we didn't get to talk about this, but uh, you tell me about it, Quentin. It's Ray Hechicero with Negro Casas grappling in a crowd in Monterey, which is like, first off, Negro Casas doesn't do this often anymore. Yeah, he doesn't, yeah. And even then, he never really was a mat-based guy. So, it's cool to see him mix it up with Hechicero, who, you can decide, you can decide between him or Vieras, who's the best mat worker in Lucha. Uh-huh. So, it's a cool little dynamic there of Negro Casas, who's 56 years old, trying to keep up with Hechicero, who's like the new guy. <laughs> crazy how old he is he's so good and then Hechicero you know while they're still having these fantastic exchanges on the mat Hechicero still has his insane offense that only he can do when no one can replicate Uh and it's a really great match that's doesn't still overstay its welcome it's not super dramatic or anything it's just two guys going out there and doing great stuff like there's nothing more to it than that Mm-hmm. It's really it, those those two are like foolproof wrestlers. You know what I mean? Like you could plug them into any situation, and they will supply something of value. Yeah, really, really wonderful guys. And uh, my number seventy nine is a match between two terrible guys who a lot of people hate, uh, but I personally am a big fan of them. It's Eddie Kingston defending the AEW Heavyweight Title against Sammy Callahan from AEW's Art of War from February the nineteenth. I I I love these two in ways that like harken back to the fact that they were just two of the first guys that I watched in pro wrestling. The two uh Kingston's not a local guy, but he's he's been central to promotions all over the United States that have been very central to my understanding of independent pro wrestling. Um and, and Callahan then is also just a local guy and I have a strong connection to the two of them and them having this really heated hateful pot shot heavy match against each other in which they just like 
hit each other so much. It, it, it's lovely stuff. I can't say anyone else is going to love it as much as I did, but uh, it checked all the boxes off for me. I'm not even sure I remember this match, honestly. It's, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, this is where Sam Callahan wins the title and holds it for most of the rest of the year. Um, it, it's sort of, it, it's it's the kind of thing that can be easily overlooked by, by other people who aren't so invested in these two as me. Yeah. So that's your number 79? 79. So you're 78 then. 78 was a two out of three falls match on WWE television, which doesn't happen all that often. And it was Kalisto versus Alberto Del Rio from Fastlane 2016. It, this was the closest we've ever gotten to an arena Mexico two out of three falls match in WWE. And it was so much fun to watch. Like when Del Rio really wants to have a good match or conversely, when he really hates somebody, it can make for an incredible match sometimes. And Kaliso, Kaliso is another one of those guys who I think is just completely foolproof. You put him with anybody, and he will—he'll make a good match. And this was certainly that. Yeah, remember at the time, people really loved this match, and I liked it, but it didn't hit that level for me. And sure, the whole thing about the Alberto versus Kaliso feud is that Alberto is murdering Kaliso. Yep. <laughs> Like, like Del Rio was doing that nasty double stomp as a finisher, and yeah. I swear that he was trying to like stomp Kalisto through the mats on some of those. He did things. it. He did it on. He did it on the floor. Oh God! Yeah, it was rough. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's great stuff. And Del Rio being an asshole. <laughs> he can be so good sometimes, man. He can, he, he can. He, like I've seen motivated Del Rio, and he can have really good matches. It's the fact that once he gets once he gets what he wants, he doesn't care. Yeah, that's what it is. So, my number 78 is Will Ospreay versus Ryusuke Taguchi from New Japan. It's the best of the Super Juniors final. Okay. And this is similar to the Kushida match in that I felt like it was Ospreay trying to prove that he can do something that a lot of his critics say he can't do, which is sell. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought, you meant, I thought you meant wrestle. <laughs> Boom! All right. Fair enough. That's right. why I have like five more Osprey matches to talk about. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but anyways, Osprey and Taguchi, and it feels like Osprey's trying to prove his critics wrong, where people say he can't sell and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And it's him selling his leg. And in the Kushida match, he did innovative stuff, being able to work with that one arm. Mm-hmm. Here, he does it on one leg, essentially. You know, doing a springboard on one leg, which is like... I've not, I'm not sure I've seen anyone do that since then. Yeah, I think I've only seen it once before this, yeah. Yeah, which is an amazing thing that I just can't believe in. It's something that oh, that's always going to stick in my mind. And then Taguchi is really good, and people never give him credit for how, totally. good, for how good he can be when he's, put in a position, and he, when he's put in a position to have serious matches. Yeah. And he's going after Osprey's leg, working it over tremendously, Osprey wins. It's a really cool moment because it's like, man, this young dude kind of comes in and takes over in a way that doesn't happen often. And mm-hmm. he winds up, you know, losing his title match against Kushida following this um, best of super junior stuff. But in general, seeing, you know, the first ever British best of super juniors winner coming out of this tremendous match, I thought was just a generally really cool moment. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not a big fan of this kid, but like that was a surprisingly good match, and I'm glad to hear you wax poetic about it. Um, 
perchance, this is a little bit of a sidebar, uh, speaking of Taguchi in more serious matches, did you watch the singles match he had with Shinsuke Nakamura from December 2015? Yeah. I... That's I think that's a really unheralded match because it's 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 it, it gets the sort of hate that we don't see in New Japan much or at least outside of like say the never open weight division um, and it's it's so much fun to watch Nakamura like be motivated. Dude, he, just... dude, he hates him because Taguchi <laughs> kept making fun of him for months. <laughs> yeah, and Taguchi, like to to his credit, like he really holds his own in that match, and it's really fun. If ever if anyone hasn't seen it, they should go out of their way to see that. Yeah, that's a fun match, and just like it was, it was part of an underlying story where Taguchi kept you know making fun of Nakamura, or at least like doing his taunts, and Nakamura was like, "I didn't say you could do that." <laughs> <laughs> it's it, I love it. It's it's fun stuff. Yeah. So my number seventy seven is a match I'm. Curious to see if you have it all. It's okay. Chris Hero versus Tomohiro Ishii from Refro Global Wars Night One. You really you you thought I wasn't going to have this, did you? That's, I wasn't sure. This is like I have a really high actually. Okay, all right. I wasn't sure if you're going to have it because I don't know how you feel about Ishii. That's man, Quentin. It's sometimes it's like you don't even know me at all. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ishii, but uh, we will talk about that later. And hopefully, right now we'll talk about another. Uh, New Japan Juniors match, this time from the other tournament they ran in 2016, and it's Jushin Thunder Liger versus Eita from the first round of the Super J Cup. Did you have this? No, I didn't have this, but I love this match a lot. It's, um, it's... Uh, I, I use a lot of the same adjectives when I'm describing these matches because I tend to like <laughs> I tend to like fast and compact matches, but this is like supercharged, really speedy, like, young, hungry underdog kid taking it to this surly old veteran who fucks him up and it's it's a delight to see a tickets busted open at one point from um from a irish whip into the ring post and it adds like it escalates the match in a real natural and uh entertaining way and it's it's i mean it's easily the highlight of that tournament yeah the thing about it that takes it over the top is that Ada does the exact same start that hayabusa did to liger yeah that's like it's not I don't know who it was who pointed that out to me. It was like months after the fact, but I rewatched the match and I was like, that is, I don't know if how purposeful that was, but that's an incredible touch. Dude, that's, that's like a super cool touch. You know, I can't, I wouldn't be able to believe that that's not intentional because it's the exact same thing. Totally. It's uh Ata must be trading them tapes. Must be a big, big nerd for back in the day, junior <laughs> matches. <laughs> so what's your 76? My 76 is a match we brought up earlier, and I think it's the first match that now we have to talk about because we had it so uh, so differently ranked. It's uh, Chris Hero versus Trent from PWG Bowie. Right, so I really enjoyed this match. Honestly, it might be my top PWG match of the year. I think it's mine as well. Yeah, I'm trying it, to... It's, if not, it's, it's not, but it's close. Okay, I'm looking at... Yeah, this is, this is my top PWG match. Yeah. So I thought the match was excellent. And like I said earlier, like it probably comes down to the fact that I never got around to like rewatching that match because uh-huh. I thought it was amazing. And the real match that, you know, Trent's been good, but because he's been doing tag team stuff with Rocky and Chuck, people forgot that he's a really good singles guy. Mm-hmm. And this reminded people that Trent, is a fantastic wrestler in his own way. As um, as my favorite wrestler in the world, Dustin Chuck Taylor likes to say, 
you'd think that Trent is just a shitty shotgun Saturday night wrestler, but he's actually really fantastic. Like he, this is, this is one of the endless, you know, uh, hero bully formula matches, but I don't know what it is about it. It, it maybe it's just Trent's specific brand of underdog fighting. Maybe it's a PWG crowd that didn't, um, didn't annoy me as much as they usually do. I don't know what it is about it, but this like really excelled in a way that other matches in that formula, uh, didn't, always managed to do in 2016 the thing about it is that it feels like a coming out party for trent in a way where people started to take him seriously totally and i think that's what makes it special is that you can point to other chris hero bully formula matches but which one you know actually stuck out and felt like it made a guy Uh uh-huh and this one is the only one i can say that for yeah, like, uh, it hasn't really paid off too much. It's not like Trent's going out there and having, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, PWG title matches now. But it it, it really, I think it opened uh, a lot of people's eyes to, to how, how talented this guy is. And it's not it's not a perfect match. It's, it definitely, like, falls victim to excess and the PWG syndrome, whatever buzzwords you want to use. Um, but it's, I don't know, it works. Yeah. So that was your 76? That was my 76. So, mine is Marty Skrull versus Ryan Smile from OTT's WrestleCon Night 2. Such a bummer that I didn't get to check out any OTT this year, so you took it away, Quentin. This was Ryan Smile trying to conquer his demons and try to prove that he is as good as Marty Skrull. Mm-hmm. He's not some scrub, he's not some loser, and that he's on the level as, you know, this big name talent that's come out of the scene and Ryan Smile, who's usually just a jovial dude who's happy mm-hmm. and all this stuff, he comes out in this body paint. You know, it's like a almost like skeleton esque. And he has die villain die on um his back and like um almost like really like scratched on graffiti. It's like it's a really interesting look. And throughout the course of the match, Marty Skrull's picking Ryan apart, but Ryan won't die. The one at one point Marty does his super kick spot that he does in the apron, and then Ryan Smile kind of laughs at him, and then he does it again, and Ryan Smile actually like you know, he's like kind of wobbly, but he's still laughing at him. And it's a really tremendous visual of this man that's kind of gone mad because he can't get Marty's girl out of his head, mm-hmm. and the finish is the is the thing that prevents it from being higher because the story they told was wonderful, but the finish is so, like, you know, he had to use the umbrella to beat Skrull after, like, granted, Skrull introduced it first, and it's it's Smile getting payback, but if they don't do the umbrella finish and Smile just kind of beats Skrull straight up, I think I would have it higher, because they told a really great story, and I felt like Ryan Smile was being put on the level of those guys, and now with, you know, how things are playing out in the UK scene, that may prove to be uh, vital. Yeah, yeah, that's it's really interesting looking back on this match in hindsight. How how quickly Ryan Smile has uh, improved his oh, what's the word I'm looking for here? I don't know. He's he, he's becoming a household name nowadays. Yeah, so you should watch this match for sure if you. Know. I definitely need to. Yeah. yeah. We'll return after these messages. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Voice of Ring of Honors, Kevin Kelly here. I just want to make sure you're all subscribed to all of our great feeds here at Place to Be Nation. Now, it's really easy to do. 
Just head to iTunes or your preferred podcatcher app today and search for and subscribe to the Place to Be Nation Wrestling Feed, Place to Be Nation Pop Feed, Pro Wrestling Only Feed, and of course, the Kevin Kelly Show Feed, which includes the full archives of my podcast. Subscribe, listen, and then rate us and leave feedback today. And of course, as always, enjoy all the great action of Ring of Honor Wrestling and everything presented to you on placetobenation.com. Place to be Nation's JT Rizzero here, and I want to let you know that we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and placetobenation.com, and we offer them to you across two great feeds. On the Place to be Nation wrestling feed, you can check out Scott Criscolo and me on the Mothership, the Place to be podcast with our famous vintage wall pay-per-view reviews. PTBN also covers current-day wrestling with the smash hit clotheslines and headlines our steady veteran main event, and the beloved monthly pay-per-view reaction shows with immediate feedback on all pro wrestling super shows. Relive wrestling's past with our monthly pay-per-view rewind series led by Ben Morse, the always contentious Dangerous Alliance podcast, and Survey Says, a fun look back at the good, bad, and ugly of WCW. On our very popular Place of Nation Pop podcast feed, we offer such great shows as the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular, Rank and File, NBA Team, Lucha Undead, Geek and Sassy, and a veritable podcast heaven for comic fans with hard-traveling fanboys, Sellers Points, Todd Weber's Conversation, and Imaginary Stories. Subscribe to both of those feeds on iTunes and rate and leave feedback for us as well. All of these shows plus others available at PlaceTomation.com where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments, and more. Be sure to support our site by using PlaceTomation.com backslash Amazon when doing your online shopping and download our free Place to Be Vintage Vault Refresh eBooks via the links on the right-hand side of our site. We also want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Rock, Rhode Island and Fall River, Massachusetts, TheHistoryOfWrestling.com, and Scott Keats' Blog of Doom. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr as well. PlaceTomation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. The PWO PTBN feed has changed its name, now known simply as Pro Wrestling Only, so it should be easier to find and indeed to say. All of your favorite shows are still here, including Where the Big Boys Play, Letters from Kayfabe, Titans of Wrestling, Tag Teams Back Again, This Week in Wrestling, and many, many more including our full archives of tremendous content. So make sure you subscribe to the Pro Wrestling Only feed today. Now back to the show. So we're at the, you know, a milestone mark here. We're at 75. Number 75. I don't know. Um, that's like a gold anniversary or something. That might be 50. I don't I don't know what it is. All right, so... Trent, my uh, 75 is AJ Styles versus Roman Reigns from Payback. Oh, okay. I didn't have I didn't have the Payback match on this list, so you took it away. So I didn't really think I was going to have the Payback match until I started thinking about it. And, man, I would have had the Payback match higher than the Extreme Rules match if there wasn't the stop and start stuff. Mm-hmm. Because the work in the Payback match is phenomenal, I thought. Like yeah, that, like that is a tremendously worked match with Roman Reigns, you know, trying to toss around AJ, AJ getting his signature offense in, and some of the stuff that no one can replicate. Only AJ Styles can do it. These two have like such surprisingly good chemistry. Yeah, and it's where Roman Reigns is super cocky, and AJ is 100% babyface at this point, and it makes for a great dynamic with this like big menacing guy 
and he's not plucky, but AJ Styles has a lot of tricks up his sleeves. Sure. And there's a lot of there's a stop star stuff with the McMahons that keeps it from being higher, but it is probably better working than the Extreme Rules match, which I do have on my list, but I had to get it on here somehow because it's one of the better matches that okay. won't get enough credit because of the, you know, shenanigans involved. It's, I mean, I do, I do dislike, you know, the, the, the restarts because, you know, they're just, they feel so hokey and forced, but, yeah, uh, like, like, this, like, this is the thing where usually it won't annoy me too much, but because it was a thing where literally the McMahons had no reason to be involved, uh-huh, it's like, you know, well, what the fuck, like, what, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah, I, I'll, I would compare it to, like, um, a match that I've, that may be my favorite match ever. Uh, which was Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Dude Love from WWF Over the Edge 98, in which McMahon is inserting himself in the match as the special guest referee, and he has Patterson and Briscoe as, like, the timekeeper and ring announcer. And, like, that was that was based on the fact that McMahon was feuding directly with, yeah. uh, with Austin. Whereas this, like, maybe... I don't know, it's the residual stuff from Roman versus the Authority, but I do agree with you that it sort of feels like they don't have a reason to... But see, it's like, see, here's the thing, is that if it was like Roman versus the Authority, then they would have let AJ win those matches. Sure. It's like the fact that Roman basically lost two times, and then each time they give him another chance. Yeah, it's 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 a weird thing that they're doing specifically with this Roman versus the Authority story that goes back, you know, years at this point now, yeah. where it's like they... They clearly want the guy to succeed, despite the story being that they don't. Yeah, this is really odd, and it just kind of it didn't ruin the match. It's obviously still made my list, but yeah. it would have been much higher if well, Dessa was involved. I wanted to say, uh, despite the fact that I didn't like those restarts, I thought this was not necessarily a bad match, but a really underwhelming match because I think from like the first minutes of them interacting, it felt like, oh, this is this is not going to be the big blow-off match between these two guys. Like, it, it it didn't feel like either one of these guys wanted to win. Like, it, it, I could immediately tell that this was going to end in shenanigans. And it, it really turned me off. I think the thing about it to me is that I didn't think there was going to be a rematch. Yeah. So I thought AJ was just going to get a one-off title shot and that would have been it. Sure. So the fact that they even continued after was, was pretty insane to me. So I was expecting Roman Reigns to just beat AJ. But the fact that it did get a little bit more competitive and they were giving AJ what you would call, I guess, you know, little victories here and there uh-huh. was an interesting touch because coming in, you wouldn't have expected AJ to be a, to be presented so strongly. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's interesting. Like, we didn't know how AJ was going to work in WWE, let alone in the main event scene. So it, it's fun to look back on. So you're 75. My 75 uh, pits one of my favorite wrestlers ever, uh, someone who I truly do consider one of the greatest of all time, uh, Mako Satomura, defending the Sendai Girls World Championship against Chikiro Hashimoto um, at their big uh, 10th anniversary show in Sendai on October the 16th. It's not perfect, mostly due to the fact that Chikiro is... I think at this point was less than a year in the business or was very close to it. Um, but it's a lot of effort between these two women who put a lot of effort into everything they do. And so to make me, you know, take note of the fact that they put in even more than usual is certainly, certainly something interesting. Um, and it's them going at it in a, a nice crisp, uh, fast little match that 
I don't know. It's it it it, it makes me think that they're going to have better things down the line. This reminds me a lot of ways of the early like like a decade ago matches between Mako Setomura and Aja Kong. Um, and if the feud between these two is anything like those matches, then it's going to be fantastic. And what's great about this match is that when Chihiro wins, it feels like a legitimate upset. Totally. Because you can feel the like the shock in the crowd. The crowd wasn't expecting it. Yeah, no one was. So, yeah, that's a great moment, too. And I enjoy this match a lot. So, um, I'm hoping these two have matches in the future. And I'm assuming, assuming they will. Maybe a number one contenders match since Aja Kong is a Sendai Girl champ now. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, they'll, they'll have more clashes in the future. And we have Maiko trying her best to make Chihiro a big name. Mm-hmm. I think they'll succeed whenever they... She's got a big name, too. She's got a Hashimoto name. Certainly, <laughs> <laughs> certainly means a lot. So, that was, just, that was just 75, so what's your 74? My number 74 was... It, it's. I'm kind of surprised that it took so long for either one of us to mention this tournament, but it's a match from the first round of the Scenic City Invitational Tournament that a couple friends of ours put on, and it's Leo Rush versus Anthony Henry. Uh, this didn't make my list. Oh, it didn't? Interesting, okay. This is... um. This match was uh, lit as fuck, as the kids say. It was a wonderful little sprint where these two guys who are awesome at spot fest matches that don't feel too over the top uh, went out there and had a spot fest match that didn't feel too over the top in front of a crowd that adored it. And it was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, it was definitely a match where it wasn't like, you know, as spotty as, you know, it might sound when people describe it. Totally. But it's a really great, you know, what, 15, 12 minute match? Like, oh, it's not. It def, it def, it, I'm pretty sure it's six. It goes no, short. No, um, Gunnar Miller versus Joey Lynch was like the six minute match or whatever that was. Okay, I could be confusing those two. They're both on my list, so yeah, they're real similar matches. Yeah, but um, Leo Rush versus Henry, yeah, great match. And I know if Trask was here, he'd have that match in like his top 10. So it's like that. But he's, he's, he's a, a coward. <laughs> yeah um, he said that's the best live match he's ever seen and I fully yeah. agree that if I was there live I'd have been enamored by that too something special Yeah. so my 74 I'm curious if you have this because I'm not sure how you feel about Lucha Underground but my number mm-hmm. 74 is Prince Puma versus Rey Mysterio from Ultima Lucha Dos no I I, um, I don't know how to feel about this match it's it's a weird one so you tell me how you feel and then maybe maybe I can learn something <laughs> We mentioned earlier about how Ricochet was being the veteran in the Desmond Xavier match. Uh-huh. And it feels like he did a tremendous job, you know, going back to being the underdog or being the youngling trying to make a name for himself here in this Lucha Underground lore against Rey Mysterio, who's the established guy, the most recognizable luchador of all time. Prince Puma wants to be on that level. And to do that, he has to beat Rey Mysterio. And he tries his best, and he just doesn't get it. Rey Mysterio mm. still has a lot more left in the tank. Rey Mysterio is still great. Prince Puma is great, but Rey is all-time great, and he's just not on that level yet. And I thought they told that story very well. Perchance, do you have any other Rey Mysterio matches on this list? No, because the only Rey Mysterio I saw this year... Well, okay, technically... Okay, but Aztec Warfare account. Sure, I mean, he was in it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean if we count Aztec Warfare then yes, but no, if it's just okay. those matches. I just I don't I don't know what it is, but like 
maybe it's just the fact that this man is getting older, but I'm not so enamored with these 2016 Rey Mysterio matches as other people are. They're they're good, and I think one or two of them, maybe most notably the Kurt Angle match, which is very surprising, uh, I think one or two of them are like really fantastic, but I don't know what it is that I'm missing from these Rey Mysterio matches as well as just Lucha Underground as a whole, because this one kind of left me cold. I mean, I think it's the fact that you have to keep in mind that when you're watching Ray, you're not watching the same guy that you're watching. You Definitely. Know, when you're watching 1994 or even yeah. 19 or even 2002 or 2006 guy, it's yeah. a completely different person who's gone through a whole bunch of different stuff. Who's what, 40 years old at this point. And I think seeing Ray, like it's not, he's still doing stuff. Like that's the mm-hmm. thing about it is like, he's not like he's drastically slowed down. Yeah. He's like a guy that's still doing, uh, dives to the floor, still doing that sliding bump that he takes <laughs> outside. Yeah. I still think Ray is a really impressive worker. Like maybe he couldn't have singles matches week to week, but I think that makes him special is that he can go out there and just kill it in trios matches. And when he needs to, he can have a singles match like this where it is more storytelling based. It's not him going out there and having a nitro match or a SmackDown match. It's a lot of different storytelling um, the guy that has the crown versus the guy that wants it. Mm. I've only been watching Lucha for a couple of years, so it's like this is probably the first time that I've seen like a greatest of all time level guy transition into this later stage of his career. Like when when I started watching Negro Casas, he was already old. When I started watching El Hijo del Santo, he was already sort of old. When I was even Caristico, like he was past his prime. And like, uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just that like when I came up in wrestling like ray was such a big deal that seeing him slow down so much and it's not even it's not even so much i shouldn't say that uh but but seeing him transition into this different portion of his career i don't know it feels it feels strange i'm not sure how to react to it i'll be honest i think maybe like once like you know time passes on this and maybe if you went back on and want look back on it in a few years you may actually like it because maybe it's a different style that he's working but not too much where it's not Rey mysterio you know He's, mm-hmm. you know, still getting tossed around. He's still the smallest guy in almost every match he's in. Yeah. But he's smarter. He does smarter things. He doesn't have to kill his body. And yeah. I think if you care about the fact that Rey Mysterio is adjusting his style to where he can still work with two bad knees, then it's like it's like really cool to watch him. It's 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 something that is going to have to uh, grow on me, I suppose. Yeah. It's I don't know. So, I'm assuming this is your 74 now, right? Uh, though 74 was Rush versus Henry. We're on 73 now. Oh, you want me to take it? Okay, that's all in my 73 then. All right. Um, okay. My 73 is Daisuke versus Mr. Ganosuke. Oh, okay. Do you have guts, Quentin? <laughs> the thing about this match is that it's one of, maybe the smartest worked match I've seen all year. Really? Yeah, I thought it was a super smart match. It is something where they didn't, you know, do overboard on anything, essentially. It's a whole bunch of mat work, (laughs) some limb work. It goes down a stretch, and it's not like, you know, say in All Japan, you'll get a whole bunch of knees or dragon kicks or suplexes. This is just the near falls here are pin combinations. Mm -hmm. And it's great. And Mr. Ganasuke wins, and he dedicates the win to Hayabusa. It's a great, yeah, great stuff. And. Again, because it's Guts World, a lot of people haven't watched it, but it's a super uh, 
cagey match between Gatsuke, who's always been a very smart worker, and Daisuke, who's just a very talented guy that hopefully gets some more shine in 2017. It's really funny that, like, just literally moments after we're talking about Rey Mysterio transitioning into this late period of his career, that we have Mr. Gatsuke, who I think is like been doing this masterfully because he's been i don't know he's always been this weird like technical uh very very smart character and seeing him 20 years into his career not changing it up much like it's i don't know i like it so you're 73 my 73 pits my number one and number two best wrestlers in the world against each other it was chris hero versus jonathan gresham from beyond wrestling state of the art on february the 28th sadly uh it's not as good as it should be it's not as good as the number one and number two best wrestlers in the world having a match should be um partially because i think this was a first time matchup and there was clearly some some sort of frustration on a deeper level between these two but it's still master class workers doing their thing for a good 15 20 minutes uh, with other master class workers and there's so much to enjoy even if it is sort of awkward and falters at times I enjoyed the match a lot but I think what other people were getting around to the match and saying like uh, this is like really great potentially mm-hmm. top 10 my thing was uh, you know there's a lot of really great Chris Hero Bully Formula matches and I didn't feel like this would make my top five or ten and it's I, sort of because like gresham doesn't fit well with that scenario he's not a guy who like is bullied well you know which is weird because gresham is a tiny man so it's like totally you know you would think that he would be you know be a compelling uh baby face against someone like chris hero who's such a compelling bully but jonathan gresham is actually a better heel <laughs> so yeah it's, it's 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 two guys who are like too similar for their own good sadly yeah, it's weird. Like, Jonathan Gresham, despite his size, should be the one bullying someone. And we'll, I know we'll talk about a match where he does that to someone. <laughs> yes, we will. Yeah, but, uh, man, I like the match, but, yeah, like you said, it feels like it should have been better for two guys on that level. Uh-huh. So you're 72. My 72 was my uh, second highest, I think. No, third highest ranked PWG match. It is a... Roderick Strong versus Timothy Thatcher match from PWG 13. It's, um, uh, speaking of, like, here on Gresham being, like, too similar for their own good, Roddy and Thatcher are, like, two opposite ends of the spectrum in wrestling, and it is astounding how well they work together because they just, they just both bring the heat and they know how to play to each other's strengths. And every time they lock it up, whether it's in Evolve or whether it's in PWG or wherever it's at, it's, it's something special to watch. Yeah, you mentioned it's like these two have oddly good chemistry. Like I mentioned Roman Reigns and AJ Styles having chemistry that no one would actually expect. Uh huh. This is another one of those matchups where just for some reason they click and I think it's because people underrate that Roddy could actually work on the mat. Totally. But then Thatcher people underrate that Thatcher can hang in there when it comes to throwing stiff strikes. Yeah. It's so, not all it's not all super worked headbutts. <laughs> yeah, so I enjoy these two whenever they face each other and yeah i love this love this match it's probably you know a top 10 pwg match of the year probably higher when i think about it but uh-huh. yeah tremendous stuff so my 72 is volador versus caristico from elite okay this is um i have a real weird opinion of volador these days so you're gonna have to tell me why you love this one well i like this because it's volador 
I think he was an amazing Rudo with his match. I thought uh-huh. he was tremendous. So <clears throat> that's kind of a tough point for me there. If it was just Volador and Caristico, you know, going through and running through spots, mm-hmm. it'd be different. But because Volador is like noticeably super nasty yeah. in this match, that's what makes it the way it is. And then this was the match that really established the fact that to me, Caristico was on his way back to being a great wrestler. Yeah. Because he does a whole bunch of insane stuff. He's great, you know, selling. There's a great spot where he goes for an acai moonsault. And then Volador puts his feet up. And then he takes a ridiculous bump. Into it's pretty nutty. <laughs> yeah. You know, they do some insane spots. But what carries it is that I think Volador is just showing so much personality. And it makes me wish that he was a Rudo again. Because he's just tremendous at it here. I think, I think the... I don't know, like, I, uh, R- Volador's actual, like, in-ring work is generally why I'm not super hot on him. He's like the, um, I don't know, he's like the Seth Rollins of CMLL, if you that's know what a, I mean. That's a pretty fair comparison. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I never thought about it that way, but that's a fair comparison. And, and I think similarly to the fact that I think Seth Rollins is only really good when he's, like, a, a heel that is focused on and given a lot to work with, I, I think it's probably fair that Volador would be better as a Rudo these days, but, you know, we're not getting it. Yeah. So, that's my 72, so you're 72. Seven, uh, 71. I already oh. did 72. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. My 71 is uh, sort of a surprising match, and I'm not sure if anyone loved it as much as me. It's the finals of the second chance tag team tournament from Evolve's trio of shows at the beginning of the year, pitting... Team Tremendous versus Catchpoint versus the Bravado Brothers versus Rapongi Vice. It's um I I love multi man tag team matches. Uh that it that just comes from my love of, of like Dragon Gate and Lucha Libre and Chicago and all that shit. Um but this was like this is one of the better examples of a match that felt like so much greater than the sum of its parts. Like individually, there's not a whole lot of top end talent here and the top end talent that we do have like drew gulak gets eliminated early on and it's i don't know it's like such a really interesting and compelling babyface story of team tremendous like battling against the odds to defeat all three of these teams yeah i be honest i don't remember much of this match but i now i've never been a big fan of team tremendous so i'm not sure oh and i I love those boys that's and i i think i love them a lot more than most people do I like Dan Barry. I'm not sure how I feel about Bill Carr. <laughs> Bill's Bill's a character. Doesn't work much. Yeah. I can understand that, yeah. yeah. Um, so my seventy one, since I forgot to do that. Um I'm not sure if you have this match, but my seventy one is Tracy Williams versus Matt Riddle. Uh which one? From Evolve fifty five. Uh yes. We I have that ranked higher. We will talk about that one later. Alright, so my seventy is Ray Rowe versus Sammy Guevara from Inspire Pro Wrestling. Oh, I didn't get to see this one, but I heard rave reviews. Oh, man. You need to see this match because Ray Rowe is a big, badass dude. And he comes in to teach this young punk, Sammy Guevara, a lesson. And he gives him the ass-kicking of a lifetime. <laughs> I've heard this like compared to Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels from Hell in a Cell. Well- Okay, <laughs> that's a high comparison. <laughs> Look, I've, I've seen I've seen the comparison. Yeah. So, essentially, it's the fact that you know, pretty much, he'll getting his comeuppance for being such a dick. Sure. And Sammy is a complete 
young punk who doesn't know any better and thinks he's better than everybody. And then these people would bring in a big indie name to come teach Sammy a lesson. And here comes Ray Rowe. And he takes him to the woodshed, essentially. And Sammy has to find a way to survive. And he does. And the thing about the match is that Sammy is so good is that the crowd starts to turn in his favor. And Ray Rowe puts him over after the match, saying Sammy is the next big star, all this stuff. And then Sammy's like, yeah, I am that good. Now get the fuck out of my ring. And then he he collapses in the middle of the ring. Oh, I love that. That sounds great. It is. I I love this match a lot. I wish more people saw it. But because uh, Inspire isn't on a streaming service and they put out shows a little bit later than they should, it's a great, great match. That Texas scene has really grown into something special. Yeah, it is, and it's been good for a while. It's just, you know, now with uh, certain places um, having their talent rated, that Texas mm-hmm. is going to, you know, be one of the next scenes to step up. Uh-huh. So that was 70, so you can go ahead with that. My number 70 match was another match between two guys I love quite a lot and in a promotion that is one of my favorites. It was Chris Hero versus John Silver from Beyond Wrestling's Overnight Sensation. Um, we've talked about before many times the Hero Bully formula and how his personality interacts with uh, other people, uh, but we haven't talked about John Silver yet and his awesome uh Oh, oh, what's Crash Holly? His awesome, like, Crash Holly-esque uh, character and persona in which he's this small, jacked little dude. See, he, so he's like, he's like Crash Holly if, you know, Crash Holly was actually as strong as he thought he was. Totally. Like, it's, maybe not, he doesn't weigh 400 pounds, but, like, this is, like, it, it, it's so mind-blowing how easy it is to believe that John Silver can throw Chris Hero around. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it shouldn't work as well as it does. But it does. And it makes for an awesome little match here in which they beat the hell out of each other. Chris Hero is completely flummoxed by the fact that John Silver is able to hang with him. And they have a nice little, like, 13-minute match in front of, sadly, a uh, a lacking crowd, partially due to the venue and how big it is. But uh, it's good stuff regardless. Yeah. I enjoyed this match a lot. And it was a, probably, if I'm being honest, like my third favorite match on a really great it's a good show. show. Yeah, it's a fantastic yeah. show. But it's a great match that, you know, I think I said that, you know, there was like five different matches on that show. I could see someone, I could be being someone's favorite. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's one of them. So. It's a good show for Beyond. And now uh, we reach the nicest of numbers, nicest. Quentin. <laughs> Can you tell me about your 69th ranked match? My 69th ranked match is Will Ospreay versus Kushida from Invasion Attack. Okay, I didn't have this, though. In hindsight, I probably should have on my list. Uh, Here is what I'd say is Will's best performance of his career so far, probably. Mm. And it's him, you know, he gets this big debut. He's facing Kushida in literally his first match in the company in a title match. He has his pink tights on, dedicated to Chris Travis. Forgot about that. And, like, Will Ospreay shines. He does he he, get, he does his kickflips he does his flashy stuff he does his dives, but then Kushida takes control, with a swift drop kick to the arm, and then Will Ospreay sells like death for most <laughs> of the match. Granted, yeah, over animated and a whole bunch of stuff that I know Brock doesn't like. Yeah, but I like the commitment to being in pain. I, <laughs> yeah, the man. It's not for lack of trying that I don't like this. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. puts all, his he puts his all into it. 
Yeah, you know, and, and that's like, I never, you know, have a problem with anyone that goes, you know, to that scale of, like, conveying pain. And I think that, uh, you know, he was, like, screaming his head off. He's holding his arm. And we mentioned, and I mentioned, I alluded to it when I was talking about the Taguchi match, but he does innovative stuff while still selling his arm. Yeah. Like, the no-handed hand, like, the no-handed handspring, essentially. Mm-hmm. Still one of the most insane things I can recall seeing. It's pretty cool. I don't know how he does that. Um, it's, uh, it's momentum. Dude, it's, yeah. uh, it's, uh, wires. Didn't you see it? You gotta look closer. <laughs> yeah, I, like, it's like, I've never seen anyone do it that way, and he's done the spot more since then. It's uh-huh. kind of lost his specialness, but when I saw it the first time, and playing into the story of Will not being able to use his arms, and he went for the... Actually, the way it's set up is actually really good, because he goes for the handspring again, but his arm gives out. Yeah. And then he goes to do it, and then he goes to do it, you know, with the no hands, so he's kind of learned that he can't use his arm. He has to find a different way to do his offense. Sure. And it's great. Will Ospreay winds up losing, but it's a match where it established him as a player in that division, and... A lot of people were worried when Will Ospreay came in that he would just come in and dominate the scene, but 2016 didn't pan out the way at all. Yeah, it's really interesting that, like, I think you can attribute a lot of it to injury, but he really cooled off in the second half of the year. Yeah, like, but, like, remember, like, you know, when it, like, was first announced that Will Ospreay was coming in and he was going to face Kushida in a title match in his first match. Yeah. Then he was best at Super Juniors, and then people are panicking that Ospreay beat Kushida. It's like, well, none of that ever happens. And it just seems like all of the complaining about Will Ospreay is silly in hindsight because none of the stuff people were scared about never happened. Sure, sure. It's, I don't know. It's so, a good point. 60, my 69, so what nice. is your 69? All right, my... Uh... 69. <laughs> uh, this match is um, another WXW match between two guys who I like a whole lot. And it... It reminds me of one of the greatest matchups that we never got in WWE, and it's this uh, Yaren Simmons versus Speedball Mike Bailey match that feels so much like the great Brock Lesnar versus Rey Mysterio singles match that we never truly got. We got it on like a SmackDown once, and it was like really underwhelming and and wasn't focused on as what it should have been. But uh, but this is this is nice with like this. This local monster giant who hates indie wrestling facing off against probably the best pure babyface in the business right now. And they do their thing in front of a hot crowd that loves to see them do it. And it's it's exciting without being over the top. And it's really um, – it builds in a natural and entertaining way. And I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's great. And the thing about Yearn is that he's gotten so good. So good. <laughs> like his gimmick is the best. He's he might so, be he might be the best big man in the business right now. Like he's like super he's like super condescending. He's like he's like this like smugness that smugness yeah. about him that no one else really has. And then Speedball's so innocent. And the great thing about that match is that they had that in like the context of the WXW tag league going on. Uh-huh. So they had a great match with all this other stuff going on, like leaders versus uh, death by elbow and Cerberus being great. Like they had some stuff going up against them and they still managed to have a great match. I think partially because like it, it feels so different from everything else. Yeah, for sure. It stands out in a nice way. It's WXW knows how to book those shows. Yeah. So my number 68 is a match. I know you have higher, so not even going to waste time. It's Michael Sattermore versus Aja Kong. So I know you have the higher. I am pleasantly surprised that you even have it 
No, you... I'm not going to have the match. <laughs> okay, we're going to... I'm going to try to not talk about that match for 30 minutes by itself. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my number 68 was a match that I'm not sure that anybody was into. And it's partially because I like one of these guys a whole lot more than most people do. And it's uh, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Noam Dar from the Cruiserweight Classic. Oh, my um, God. Wow. It's, uh, how do you did have, you see how, this? How do you have the... I to, I'm the one that told you to watch this. Were you? I don't yeah. remember that. That's weird because we we talk a lot. I just I don't remember that at all. I'm the one that told I was going to watch this. You, anyway. you like asked me like what are Zack Sabre Junior.'s five best matches, and I put that in. Oh there. yeah, okay. I think I, I guess it's because like I knew I wanted to watch it anyway, but I was looking for stuff that wasn't so obvious. But yeah, this is like a lot of people point to the Zack Sabre Junior. versus Drew Gulak match in this tournament. That is probably like better in some on some level uh, but it's it's lesser than this match this one is farther along in the tournament and it gets a little bit more time and um it's it's really like kind of wild in a way that a lot of like Ted Cole matches don't manage to do and it's because like they work with injury teases that I can't tell if they're real or not and they they keep such a frantic pace it's it's a really wonderful tight and surprisingly brutal little technical match that I think more people should watch because Noam Dar, for good reason and for bad reason, uh, gets a lot of flack, and I think this would turn a lot of people around on him. Yeah, and the finish to that match is something that, again, I've never, I haven't seen, you know, done again. Uh-huh. And he, like, Zach catches him and, like, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but it eventually turns into a double arm bar. Uh-huh. And he it's, like grabs it all the way. It's a really gross match. Oh man, this is a like it's it's finish. it's the grossest thing I've seen in WWE in quite some time. Yeah, it's a really brutal match. Which again, you wouldn't expect to say for Noam Dar. Like, you know, Zack Sabre Junior's got like gotten nasty, so that's not surprising for him. But sure. Noam Dar getting down. Yeah, this this twenty two year old Scottish kid hasn't had that much fire in him. Yeah, so but, uh, he brings it. He brings it. Yeah, he he was great in that match. So. My 67, I'm going to be surprised if you have this or not, but Chris Hero versus Marty Skrull from Progress Chapter 31. Nope, um, I'm I'm really not a fan of those Hero versus Skrull matches, but you should tell me why you are. I mean, we already talked about the Chris Hero bully formula, and uh-huh. the thing I love about this match is that Chris Hero himself is the one getting bullied here. And it's interesting because Marty Skrull is a much smaller man than Chris Hero. So much smaller. And the fact that this match works for like I think I think Chris Hero does a really good job uh, selling smaller than he actually is, and then yeah. Marty Skrull does a good job working over like bigger than he actually is, which is something weird to say because yeah. Marty Skrull's like five seven five eight. Chris if Hero, that. <laughs> like, you know, like one hundred and eighty pounds. Chris Hero was like six five two fifty. Uh-huh. That ma- like the match shouldn't work that way with Marty Skrull dominating Chris Hero and working him over and destroying his arm. What it connects for me, and I think it's because it probably feels different than a lot of progress matches have. Sure, where this one is taking place in Manchester, and usually the big matches don't happen in Manchester, but this one feels different. It's like the headline match, almost like very much a one match show, mm-hmm. and they go out there and kill it and. Uh, Chris Hero is playing babyface, which is something he doesn't get to do too often, but people forget that he's really great at it. Totally. And then Marty Skrull 
he like there's no Marty Girl stick in this match. There's no yelling chicken wing. There's no flapping his arms. He wants to prove that he is on this guy's level. And I think this match did a good job legitimizing Marty's girl in some ways. It's certainly of the, what, two or three matches they had in 2016. It's certainly my favorite. Yeah, they, yeah, they had two matches. They had another one at Rev Pro that I can totally see why people disliked. Yeah. Uh, that that entire Rev Pro Uprising show, is, as I've talked to you before, is really unappealing to me. <laughs> right. So what's, what's, up with your, what's up with your 67? Well, keeping uh, with the theme here, I have another technically oriented match, uh, which was Drew Gulak versus Timothy Thatcher from the first PWG show of the year dedicated to Lemmy Kilmister back on January the 2nd. It's um, it's not too often that you see a technical match in PWG, and it's so much more rare that you see a technical match in PWG that isn't worked in a spotty manner. Like this is, this is the textbook definition of a grapple fuck match, and it doesn't necessarily get over with this crowd as much as it probably should. But I love every step of the way what these two guys do. Yeah, I think this is very good, and I thought this was the best Gulag versus Thatcher match to happen in twenty sixteen. I know a lot of people like the uh, survival squared circle survival. Yeah. <laughs> I know, people, I know a lot of people like that, and I like that match too, but I thought this was their best match to happen in 2016. What, what's, uh, I don't know, what put, what made this one so much better? Well, first, the match they had in Brooklyn didn't resonate at all. Uh, uh, yeah, that's true. So it's that, funny that this one, this one probably got over with the crowd better than that one did. Yeah, which is weird. Like, it's happening in PWG, so you wouldn't expect the Drew Gulak versus uh, Thatcher match to get over that much. Uh-huh. And it wasn't like, you know, super heated or anything, but it worked for that crowd and i thought that it was a uh, masterfully worked and you know in a in a square circle survival match like that has a grudge match feel and it feels mm-hmm. totally unique so a lot of people will probably prefer that one it's just uh i don't know something about this match i thought was just uh you know more uh typical but it felt like it was um unique to pwg so it gets points there okay okay so that was your 67 Yes, it was. All right, so my 66 is a match that you said you cut, which is Yuji Hino and Daisuke Sakimoto versus mm-hmm. Yuji Okabayashi and Goshi Yogodaki from Fortune Dream 3. Uh-huh. And I love this match because it is so self-aware. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a good way to put it. It is a really self-aware match. Like, they know what they're going out there to do. They're going out there to chop each other... <laughs> And drop each other on their heads. Uh-huh. I mean, come on. At one point, they literally go over to Kenta Kobashi, who's on commentary, and they are <laughs> sacrificing their chest in the name of Kenta Kobashi. They bow to him. They bow to him before they start chopping each other. <laughs> come on. Like, if that doesn't scream self-aware, I yeah. don't know what does. Because they are going out there and doing it in the name of Kenta Kobashi. Yeah. And it goes to, like, it's a 30-minute draw. Well, it, it goes it goes a thirty minute time limit, and then they have an additional time where uh-huh. um, Okabayashi murders Sakimoto with a lariat, or the she, he murders him, you know, right in the face. And if the thirty minute time limit matches, you know, goes over thirty minutes, but it feels entertaining all the way through because it feels like they're not trying to tell you a story that's not there. They are going sure. out there to just chop each other. And that's it. 
and you can either like that or you don't. But that's the <laughs> po- that's the entire point. Yeah, like I'm not. Um, I generally don't like self aware wrestling. I don't like when wrestling gets too cute for its own good. But you know, sometimes when four talented guys go out there and just do what they do best in front of a crowd that loves it. It's just so much fun to watch. Like I wouldn't, I don't, I wouldn't call that a great match by any means, but it's so enjoyable. Yes, it's a very enjoyable match. Like I know if you like, I like I can see that being like someone's like number one because it's like a personal favorite thing. Because totally, I can just imagine like smiling ear to ear watching that match the entire yeah. time. Yeah, it's it's a fun one. It's really like Kenta really... Kabashi is literally smiling <laughs> as these two men are chopping each other right in front of him. Yeah. Come on, that's like tremendous stuff. Um, what's your 66? My 66 uh, was another big man match, a Haas fight, if you will. And it was from Beyond Wrestling's Gigantic, a card full of Haas fights. And it was Donovan Dijak versus the debuting Keith Lee. Um, I love these two. They've had some of my favorite matches of 2016, not necessarily against each other, but in general. Um, and this was like one of the best like big man matches that I've seen on the indies ever. Like everything feels real. Everything feels natural. It feels like it doesn't feel hammy or self-aware as we're saying that these two guys would be like, no, fuck you. I'm going to be the big man. Um, it, it, It builds in such an enjoyable way in front of this tiny little Aurora crowd. And it has some bananas spots. And I, I really love it. Yeah, it's. I think it's the best of the Keith Lee versus Donovan Dijak matches that happened. Oh, interesting. I thought you liked their uh, Texas rematch. Oh, Russell Circle. Oh, no, when I think about it. Yeah, I, I could have sworn that you said that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm thinking. Yeah, I probably did like the Russell Circus match more. Okay. But this match was a great. Uh, you know, it was two big guys doing things that two big men should be able to do. And I think. But they the, they pull it off, you know. Yeah, and it's the thing about this match is this uh because it's Keith Lee's debut. Man, does he leave a hell of an impact. Mm-hmm. Like, this, I would say, is a match that got Keith Lee on people's radars. This is a match that got him signed to WWN. You mm-hmm. know, it's this match because he blew people's doors off. Like, I don't like I don't think the people in the crowd knew what to get, knew what they were expecting from him. Yeah, totally. And he, I think everyone left with their jaws dropped after this match was done. Yeah, I didn't know who he was before Beyond booked him, which happens a lot. Uh, God bless Drew's soul. He books people that I'm not familiar with. And uh, I was astounded by what I saw and became an instant fan. So my number 65 is Tracy Williams versus Drew Gulak from Evolve 61. Do you have this? I sadly do not. Um, I don't know what it was, but like I didn't get a whole lot of Tracy Williams matches outside of one in particular on this list. In this match, I enjoyed because it was a Cruiserweight Classic qualifier. Mm-hmm. And it felt like Tracy Williams was being elevated in defeat. He was going toe to toe with his mentor, and it felt it didn't feel like he felt out of place, which is a thing Tracy's good at. Where even though he's not the biggest name, when he's facing someone that is a bigger name than him, he never feels out of place. Totally. And, and with like you know all these guys leaving Evolve and going to WWE, Tracy Williams is becoming a bigger name. And he already has that uh, presence about him where he, you know, carries himself really well. But uh-huh. this match is super competitive, and it's between two stablemates. It doesn't, you know, get devolve into, like, a brawl or anything. But it's uh, very uh, tough, 
and gritty and technical and has a whole bunch of things going on and in Laboom, which I think is actually one of my favorite venues to watch wrestling. I know people that attend Laboom don't like it. But Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah, people like some, who I know some people that like go to Laboom say the venue sucks. Huh. But that but it actually comes across well on streams, I think. Yeah, I like it. I like it out of I mean it's it's slim pickings, but out of all the venues that evolve runs, it's certainly my favorite. Yeah, and I think that match is awesome and Tracy, you know, he was so good that in some ways I kinda wish he was in the Cruiserweight Classic and not Gulak. <laughs> totally. Yeah, but Gulak, yeah. you know, I think he was necessary to go so Tracy Williams could become a star. Tracy is such an interesting character because, like, I've been watching him for years, obviously. He's a Chikara guy, if if you didn't know. He's uh, one of the guys under a mask in Chikara. Um, one of the and guys. so, like, one, one of the guys, you can, you know, pick and choose who. Uh, so I've been watching him, I've been watching him wrestle for years with a completely different character who has a completely, like, separate persona from this. Not just, not just a different gimmick, but, like, a different personality entirely. And so it's weird watching Tracy Williams, who I know for a fact has been wrestling, like, twice as long as, like, what his quote-unquote Tracy Williams persona says he has been. Um, and it's And it's weird to see him so naturally adapt to looking like a guy who's only been wrestling for like three years. Like no part of it feels like an act. He just loses himself into that. And it's, he, he doesn't get the due he deserves, I think. And I hope in 2017 with all these, you know, departures and evolve that he, he finally breaks out big. Yeah. I think he will because I mean, now with hero and Gulak gone, it's you know hot sauce. Yay. Hi. And a few other guys that are the top, like the top of the top of the heap, and evolve now, mm-hmm. and you know he has to be elevated at this point. Yeah, just out of necessity, you'd think. And and the tag team that he has formed with Freddie Ahai has has already, you know, indicated that there's probably bigger and better things for him. But I don't know. I'm I'm nervous about it. Yeah. So my number sixty four is a match. I'm not. Uh, sure. I believe we're at, believe we're at sixty five. Already gave my sixty five. Okay. Oh, oh, you didn't give yours. So I didn't get... Okay, that's what it is, yeah. My 65 um, is... I don't know. I don't know how to feel about WWE fans these days, which is <laughs> sort of a poignant statement, but uh, this might get me into some heat for how low it's ranked. It's uh, Charlotte versus Sasha Banks from WWE Raw's 1209, the day after Battleground, uh, which a lot of people have been calling their best match, and I certainly think it's their best match together, but... Uh, I don't know. It sort of left me a little bit underwhelmed while still being some really exciting, uh, fun to watch, spirited TV wrestling. I liked it, but as I have a Charlotte versus Sasha match way higher than that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that was your sixty-five. My sixty-four. I'm not sure if you have mine is Cedric Alexander versus Kota Ibushi from the Cruiserweight Classic. Do not have this one. This was an interesting match because coming out of the Cruiserweight Classic tapings, mm. people were losing their minds for this. Yeah. So you have to wonder, okay, how well is this going to translate when the video comes out? And I think this 100% delivered. I don't think it was the best match I've ever seen or like a classic or anything, but it's, you know, <laughs> look, it's a um, tremendous match. And mm-hmm. it uh, goes about, what, 13 minutes? Something and like that. Kota Ibushi and Cedric Alexander, who are two of the best wrestlers in the world, just go out there and do what you expect them to do. And it's another case where it's a match that you would never in a million years think you would get. 
and it happens in Full Sail, Florida. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like the weirdest thing to think about. And then obviously the post-match is what people think about. Cello Alexander is like crying on his way to the back and the crowd chanting, please sign Cedric. And, you know, that's like a super emotional thing where the crowd is like begging for you to get signed. Mm-hmm. Like that's, you know, regardless of how people like feel about wrestling crowds, like to get that kind of validation from a crowd, like, you know, we need you to sign this guy. Totally. It must have been like the coolest feeling in the world. We, we, they're literally chanting, we need you to give this man more money. Yes. And, then, <laughs> and that's, yeah, and that's, and, it feels good. And then Triple H comes out <laughs> and you like pass him on the shoulder. He like gives the thumbs up. Like, yeah, we know, we know. Yeah. It's a, you know, like, you know, how you feel about Triple H just, you know, it's a interest. It's a really good moment in the context of that match. Mm-hmm. Granted, Triple H might have been, you know, monopolizing the rest of the industry behind the scenes. Yeah. But that particular moment, I think, was very cool. It's, um, there's a lot of complicated feelings here, but it is nice to see a guy who has worked very hard for a very long time and has not received the recognition he deserves to finally, you know, get his due. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, you know, Cedric Alexander, if you care about his story and what he did to even, you know, get to the Cruiserweight Classic, you know, leaving Ring of Honor where they weren't going to do anything with him, betting mm-hmm. on himself, essentially. And no, saying that I'm going to go out there and steal the show. They're going to sign me. And then they do, because Cedric Alexander is just that talented. And they mm-hmm. would have been insane to let him walk out of full set with no contract. Yeah. But your, they, your they got him on lock. <laughs> so you're 64. My 64, uh, speaking of guys who have been leaving ROH recently, it was a uh, ROH TV title match with the champion at the beginning of the year, Roderick Strong, defending against my boy, Jonathan Gresham, on ROH on Sinclair number 231 from February 6th, though it was aired later. Um, I rag about ROH a lot these days for good reason. Uh, their pay-per-view product and their just general mindset in wrestling is, I think, really self-destructive and destructive on a whole. But their TV formula for matches is rock solid. And having these two guys, who are some of the best wrestlers in the world, go out there and just have a quick sprint little TV title match um, that like leaves this crowd in, I think it's Nashville, happy. And like totally astounds me with how simple and effective it is. It's it's really something special. It doesn't it doesn't blow me away like certain other ROH TV title matches did later in the year, but uh, it certainly gets things started on the right foot. All right, so my number sixty three is Cesaro versus Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn versus The Miz Ooh. from Extreme Rules. Okay, this is one of the most well done Fatal Four Ways I can recall in quite some time. Now, granted, I have a yeah. Better for I have a better fatal four way on like higher on my list, but this one is easily the best WWE one I can say I've seen because it's so well booked and you know it's a great it's an interesting thing because you have Cesaro, Owens, and Zayn who are known as indie guys that can go in there and do the moves, mm-hmm. and then you have the, like the Miz who is the cowardly heel champion who takes his shots whenever he can get them. Mm-hmm. And the big thing here is Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn absolutely hate each other. Right as the bell rings, Sami Zayn halluva kicks Kevin Owens. And then Cesaro and The Miz are just kind of standing there like, what the fuck just <laughs> happened? Yeah. <laughs> and then during the closing stretch of the match, Sami Zayn has the pin. 
and then Kevin Owens Kevin Owens um pulls the ref out, and Sami Zayn's face is like you know he's looking at Owens and he's looking at the ring like maybe I should you know try to finish this up and get the victory, but he's so mad and so incensed that he you know goes out and chases Owens mm-hmm. and it winds up costing him as Miz retains the title. Brilliant booking there, you know sets up there you know matches later on. Yeah, Sami Zayn not being over Kevin Owens and valuing killing Kevin. Kill, um, he's like he values getting his hand on Owens more than he values the championship, and it allows Miz to escape. You know, by the skin of his teeth with the title again. This is like, um, I love the booking of this match. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. was, uh, this was, this was to segue into the greater things that. Uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn would do with each other later in the year, as well as to like reintroduce Cesaro to like the big, um, to like a big title match scene after his injury, and it's to to continue to establish Miz as like this dominant heel champion. Like it's it's blending all of these stories and characters together in ways that like should be super simple, but like promotions and especially WWE like fails to do a lot of times, and when they actually do it, it's, it's magic. So, what's your 63? 63 is a match from the same show, as it were. Uh, and it's the main event of the show, Roman Reigns versus AJ Styles, in an Extreme Rules match. And I have that higher. How much higher, I, I want to know, actually. Ooh, man. So, like, considerable? Yeah, like, like considerably higher. Okay, because, like, this is, like, we're at 63, we're fairly in the middle of this of this list, and it's, like... I don't know if I'm super out of touch to put it that high, but I don't know. We'll, we'll just talk about it later, I suppose. Right. So my number 62 is the match you talked about earlier. It's, oh the, it's the Dragon Gate Dead or Alive cage match with Shingo Takagi, Yamato, Naruki Doi, Naoki Tenazaki, Cyber Kong, and Katoka. This is a... This, this cage match every year is something... Special, you know what I mean? Yeah, like every year the cage match is awesome, but I think this year because of the like the you know unit infighting mm-hmm. and the way everything got set up um, with the entire Dead or Alive show made yeah. it feel that much more special to me. And it's typical Dead or Alive cage match craziness, but what takes it over the top is Naruki Doi turning on Yamato. Oh my god! Like it's and, <laughs> and the thing about it is that is that. At you know, one point in the match, Naruki Doi's in trouble being beat down by Shingo and Cyber Kong. Yeah. And Yamato's about to escape, and then Yamato has this look on his face. He's so conflicted to go save his partner or to oh. escape the cage and save his hair. He doesn't yeah. know what to do. And he makes the decision to go save his partner. And then Naruki Doi, because he's an untrustworthy asshole, turns on Yamato. And then you think Yamato's like done for. And then out comes BB Hawk and Yasuke Santa Maria and KZ. And they help fend off Berserk. It's an insane like stuff because you think Yamato's done for. Yeah. And then BB Hulk, who hates Shingo's guts, comes out and oh you know, my God. <laughs> you know, pretty much evens the odds and saves Yamato. And it sets up the rest of the year for Dragon Gate essentially. Well we'll talk about it later with a, a specific match that uh, I have ranked quite highly. Um, but this is one of those matches that really like shows off why Exactly, I love Dragon Gate so much, and why I, I sure I'm sure you and other people love Dragon Gate so much. It's not just like the awesome, like bigger, crazier spot fest action 
than anywhere else in the world. It's not just the antics. It's it's like these characters who are super colorful and super endearing interacting with each other over like decades. Like yeah. the, the stories stories that span like so many years and their interactions over that period of time. And it's like it's it's goofy and it doesn't necessarily appeal to people who aren't already Dragon Gate fans, but like this match like really pulls at the heartstrings and it's really nice. Yeah, it's like like there's nothing more rewarding than being a long term Dragon Gate fan. Totally. And then seeing something like, you know, Yamato and BB Hulk, you know, get together or BB Hulk come back and still hate Shingo Takagi. So much that'll never go away. <laughs> or like Naruki Doi showing his true colors once again and turning on his acting mm, partner. No, you know, there's a few things that you never do. You never trust Naruki Doi. You can't. And, like it's just you no, know, it's rewarding stuff. And it's or, and yeah. it's like he. There's the moment where where after Yamato like chooses not to uh, escape the cage and goes to save Doi. Doi is faced with the exact same situation a few minutes later. And like when he chooses to go back and save his partner, just a couple moments before he turns on him, it feels like such a huge yeah. moment. And it's it's really it's really great. Yeah. So that was my sixty-two. So what's what's, what's sixty-two for you? My 62 was a match that we mentioned earlier, and it's another Scenic City Invitational Tournament match. It's Joey Lynch versus Gunnar Miller, an awesome little sprint. Uh, Gunnar Miller, after having sort of a disappointing match on the first day of the tournament, comes back with a vengeance and proves his worth against uh, one of the best guys in the South right now. And they have a wonderful little heated sprint. Yeah, you know... There's nothing more that you can say about it besides the fact that they just go out there for like five or six minutes and absolutely mm-hmm. kill it. You know, Gunnar Miller from the onset just spears Joey Lynch out of his shoes. <laughs> and, you know, it's you know, great stuff. And the matchup redeemed Gunnar Miller yeah. after, you know, people said, he, people said he laid an egg on night one. And granted, I watched that match with Michael Jutes. I didn't think it was nearly as bad as some people, as people that you know, were there live thought. Sure, yeah. But if you keep, you know, the story that kind of played out with Gunnar Miller redeeming himself, then this match is a key part of that, you know, whole story working. And more than that, it's just, it's, it's awesome action. Yeah. Like Lynch, Lynch hits probably the most beautiful moonsault I've ever seen. It's, yes. it's really great. Yeah, Joey Lynch is very good. He's a guy that, so good. he's a guy that freelance and CZW have booked. Mm-hmm. So maybe he'll get more opportunities in the future. Maybe he's invested the best. I don't know, but that'd be a really, good opportunity for him because he's a really talented guy. Very much so. So that was 62 for you and 61. I'm not sure if you watched. Okay. But it's Black Terry versus Wiltime from Chalanga Mask. Oh, I didn't get to watch this. I, I wanted to like blaze through all the Black Terry matches that made tape, but I, I wasn't able to in time. This match is so visceral and violent and hateful. It's not even a match, necessarily. It's literally a fight. Good. And they're outside in Mexico, and they're, like, literally, like, you know, going back into, like, a tent, and they're rolling around in the dirt, and mm. they're bleeding, and there's, like, you know, dirt getting in the wounds. It's, like, <laughs> a super nasty match, and it's, like, a whole bunch of headbutts. Nothing of those, like, you know, Thatcher Lakes have headbutts. We're getting sure. serious, he- like, headbutts here. And Headbutts you probably shouldn't do. <laughs> it's super violent. And it's grimy, it's filthy, it's, you know, everything that I like 
about indie lucha personified and it's because black terry is in it and black terry is the best at having these like like filthy matches that you know black terry you know at 60 at like 60 something years old like maybe 64 should, like 64 like 64 years old maybe shouldn't be happening like should yep. be having <laughs> but he does anyway he's like he's headbutting the living shit out of wotan like it is a brutal match i like, it's yeah, i love it old man and lucha Dude, it's it's a, it's a formula that can't go wrong. Yeah, I, I love that match. So, get get around to that whenever you get the chance. I'm definitely going to. That was your 61, correct? Yes. Well, uh, speaking of old men in lucha, I have a match that is completely not that, and it's a uh, <laughs> it's Leo Rush versus Brian Fury in the finals of the ROH Top Prospect Tournament. Um, I to to return to something I mentioned before, like the ROH TV. Uh, formula is like rock solid but like sometimes when you take guys who are just so good at doing one specific thing and you put them against each other it it makes for an incredible match and here you have you have um brian fury a guy who's like really never got his due who's been so important to the northeast wrestling scene uh specifically like new england above boston um you have him like getting probably the biggest shot of his career against this kid who is like only months into the business at this point and they go at it with such ferocity and such speed and such determination that you can't help but like totally buy into all of it and it's like it's one of the best it's one of the most um I don't know, like, I, I bit hard for all of these near falls. I, I, I got really invested into this in a way that I don't get invested into wrestling all too often, and I think this is a really commendable match for that. Yeah, I enjoyed, I remember enjoying all of Leo Rush's uh, top prospect tournament run. The mm-hmm. thing about that is that people didn't talk about Brian Fury, and he was really good playing the KG vet. Totally. And this, that was, like you said, it was an interesting dynamic with the guy that's the young upstart and Brian Fury, who's sort of on his, like, you know, last and maybe only chance at the big time. He was going to retire before that tournament, and then ROH was like, yeah, come back, and he's like, okay. You know, this is kind of similar to a match that I have um, higher on my list with Brian Kendrick versus Kota Ibushi. Oh, okay, we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah, that's a, like a, um, I guess, like, I think it's like an interesting story that, you know, was like, kind of similar with each other. Mm-hmm. So, my next match is... Chris Hero versus Tracy Williams from Evolve 72. I did not have this one. All right. This is the rematch from a match they had at Evolve 56, I think. I think there was a more recent one in between, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they faced each other two times in 2016. And this time, Tracy Williams come out, you know, comes out and just is ready to go. He mm-hmm. takes it straight to Chris Hero. And it settles back down into the Chris Hero bully formula. But Tracy Williams is so fiery that it takes the smash to another level. And the thing about this is that with the Chris Hero Bully formula that usually the babyface doesn't overcome, here the babyface did. Mm-hmm. Tracy Williams got the biggest win of his career, essentially. Yeah. And it's a huge deal. He makes Chris Hero tap out in the middle of the ring. Now, granted, this is on Chris Hero's way out. Essentially, when we found out that this was, you know, one of his last few matches before leaving for the WWE, so it made sense why he lost to Tracy Williams here, but either way, it is a huge moment for Tracy. It's really, it was really something special to watch, to watch him beat Hero like this. It's a good match, and I, I, I don't know what it was that it 
none of his matches outside of one made my top 100, but it's it's really something good. Right, so what's your 60? My number 60 was a match that I sure as shit didn't think was going to make my top 100, let alone maybe two or 300, <laughs> and it's uh, Kazuchika Okada versus Hiroshi Tanahashi in the main event of the Dome Show. <laughs> Did it did it make your list? Yeah, it's on my list. Okay, so we'll talk about it later. But like, that's a that's an interesting case. <laughs> I really want to know how that happened, but I'm gonna check. Sure, I'm gonna I'm gonna check where um I have the match at. Okay. Yeah, well, that'll be like that'll be like um part two of the show. But I'm curious <laughs> how that wound on how that wound up on your list. Okay, okay. Uh, so instead, I'll talk about my number fifty nine, which is uh. Prince Mustafa Ali versus Jonathan Gresham in the main event of what Trask called the show of the year, uh, Freelance Wrestling versus CZW. This is, um, John Gresham had better matches in 2016, but I think this is one of those matches that really, like, in my mind, um, solidified him as, like, a truly great talent. Because, like, watching him in this match reminded me so much of, like, classic Brian Danielson, like this cocky, self-assured heel who is like legitimately one of the best in the world, you know, rolling into town and facing off against this local baby face who has a lot of fire and a lot of charisma, but also is like a flawed wrestler and, you know, has, has some bad habits and he, he tightens him up and he reins him in and he lets the kid shine sometimes and makes for a really exciting match. But, but, but makes like this technical and crowd work masterpiece that I, I think is really underrated, even even within the realm of like freelance wrestling this year. Like it's 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 not spectacular, but I think it's really interesting, and it's something I'm going to be revisiting in the coming years. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't have it on my list, but the thing about it is, like you said, it's such a great Gresham performance, and mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned Danielson because. The person I always compare, you know, to Danielson is Jonathan Gresham, and it's because obviously they have like similar like similar looks. Mm-hmm. You know, Gresham, like you know, I don't, I don't think it's a you know accident that Gresham like has like a similar like you know attire to Danielson. Totally. But, but the way he wrestles and the way he like he's a like actually a better heel and he has a baby face like similar like similar to Danielson is a uh, quite um, interesting because. He's such a like little prick, you know, like, the little, <laughs> like the little dick tap he does is like you know, uh-huh. it's like such a great heel move that only he could pull off. I think because it's like so nonchalant. But you know, what are you gonna do? He's the guy that's gonna like tie you a knot at the same time, so he can yeah. do that, and you and you're not gonna do anything about it. Oh, it's it, it's like this thirty minute match that doesn't feel anywhere near as long. Um, it has like some of the best selling I've seen this entire year. Not just from Gresham, but from anybody. Uh, it's like it's it's really good. Yeah, fantastic match. So my number fifty nine is Tomohiro Ishii versus Katsuyori Shibata from Wrestle Kingdom ten. From okay, uh, I didn't. This fairly narrowly escaped my top one hundred. Do you have the second match higher or something? I do have the second match higher. Okay, so I think the reason why I didn't have the second match on. Is because some people didn't like, you know, the, you know, sitting down and letting Ishii, and, yes. like, like, you know, like kick, like kick him and all that stuff. Totally. I had a, more of a problem with the letting each other, like, you know, letting them suplex each other apart. Yeah, the a, a, an even crazier escalation of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I like I didn't like that that as much. So that's why that didn't make my list. And I thought this uh-huh. was, you know, 
not toned down because they do do some overly masculine, stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. But letting like you know, letting them you know the other person do like vertical suplexes to them is also very weird to me, and it didn't res- that didn't resonate as much. But letting you know, I think there's a difference in letting Katsuyori Shibata, um, you know, known MMA fighter, not the best record, but still he has a like <laughs> he has a legitimate aura about him. Sure, you know, is is I think it's better. You know, I think that's better. You know, than. Ishii letting him suplex him. You know, it's just something about Ishii's stubbornness that he's going to let this MMA fighter kick him in the back. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a more interesting, um, you know, escalation of uber macho-ness than we got in a rematch. It's a brutal as fuck match. Head totally. bumps, head drops, stiff chops, stiff kicks. If You know what you're going to get from a never title match usually, and they gave you everything that you would expect from it, and it gives Shibata up to that point in his career, the biggest win, you know, winning his first singles title, winning, you know, on uh, the New Japan's biggest show of the year, and it felt like Shibata was finally part of New Japan's big plans, and, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I thought it was a great match that slightly better than their match in February, but because that, you know, it comes down to what you think of the macho spots, and which one, I think, um, you think executed it better. Okay, we'll talk about that, and I think I'd like to talk about Shibata's year as a whole a little bit later. But uh, uh, well, when we when we when we refer to the uh, new beginning match, we'll definitely get more in depth right. into that. All right, so uh, my fifty-eight that, or your fifty-eight? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead. Um, my fifty-eight was uh, another WXW match that I love quite a bit. It was another uh, match from the Inner Circle show at their intimate, tiny little uh, wrestling school. And it was a tag team match between Big Daddy Walter and Timothy Thatcher taking on Speedball Mike Bailey and Tyler Bate. It was um, it was just like four dudes thrown together who didn't really have any connection to each other, at least at this point, because uh, Walter and Thatcher have gone on to team now in, the, in months afterwards. But... Uh, it was just sort of one of those matches that you, <laughs> you throw together to headline a show, and th- these guys just go out there and interact in such an interesting and fresh way that you've never seen them interact before, and they do it in front of this tiny little crowd that loves it, and they make everything feel right, they make everything feel um, really big and realistic, and it's it's lovely stuff. Yeah, I- remember liking that match a lot and that inner circle show in general was super good even like so both, good. Of, both of the inner circle uh, inner circle shows did you watch the second totally. one yeah the second one has a, a really high ranked match of mine actually okay that's interesting but those are both really great shows that because they happened at the WXW Academy and because they yeah. happened in the midst of these big tournaments that people don't they didn't pay attention <laughs> to yeah but like yeah great stuff um my number 58 is Jay Lethal versus Leo Rush from ROH Supercard of Honor Night One? Okay, I have this pretty high, so oh, we're, we're okay. That that won't be until if we do a part three. That that might be part three. Okay, all right. I was not expecting that. I'm all right. Yeah, I've I've uh, I have espoused much praise about that match, and we'll talk about it later. You know, honestly, so, when I look at the placement, I think I should have it higher, but you know, I can't go back sure. and change it now. Sure, whatever. <laughs> uh, so, leads us to number fifty-seven. All right, so my number 57 is Zack Sabre Jr. versus Chris Hero from the WWN Mercury Rising show. 
okay, we're going to have to talk about that later too. This is this is sort of the downside of the fact that we have to <laughs> that we do have some crossover between us that we do have to hold off on talking about some of these matches. All right, so you're 57. So my 57 was a lucha match that you probably enjoyed yourself. It was Masquerade Dorada defending the what the world welterweight title, I think, mm-hmm. against Mephisto on uh, February the 19th. Did you have this one? Oh, no, but I'm glad it made your list. Okay. Um, I'm a huge fan of Mephisto. I don't know why. He's just one of Dude, the first he guys. he is awesome. <laughs> he's so good. He's he's one of the first guys that I latched onto when I got into lucha. He just had a cool look, had a cool mask, uh, had an interesting Rudo character that I was really into. Uh, I, like, I like guys who aren't just people. Like, Mephisto doesn't necessarily feel like a human. You know what I mean? He feels like sort of this darker, um, monstrous, elemental character. Like, he's not he's not, he's not, not a Rudo in the same way that someone like Roosh is a Rudo. Um, and, it, and it makes for a really interesting match against Masquerade Dorada, who is one of the best high flyers in the world today. And they just have a textbook, awesome, high-flying little lucha match in front of a great Arena Mexico crowd uh, with some spectacular spots like uh Dorada hits an acai moonsault here that literally took my breath away and uh it's it's very enjoyable yeah both of their matches that happened in 2016 were really great and both were good yeah yeah and the thing about it is that i feel like um obviously more people are going to pay attention to the jaw-dropping aerial stuff that happens uh-huh. But I think Mascara Dorada is so underrated as, as a title match worker where I think he does great in the two in like the first two falls where it's like, you know, Matt stuff, getting some missions. Totally. He's really good at that and I think the match the matches they had actually built very well. It wasn't just straight up craziness like you say Dragon Lee versus Kamatachi was. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit more of a build to getting to the crazy spots. And the craziness that was there was pretty bananas and yeah. it's worth noting that Mephisto is like 56 years old <laughs> so my number 56 is um not sure if you have this or not but it's Hiroshima versus Shigehiro Irie from DDT on February 28th didn't have this one no huh and the thing about, I love about this is that pretty much Irie is like Owen like nine or Owen ten against Hiroshima at this point. Yeah, and he gets this shot, and that's for the number one. It's like the number one contender, some shot to the title. If he wins, he'll get to go main event. Um, I believe what was a sumo hall show. Oh uh, yeah, the timing would be right for that. Yeah, yeah, I believe if Irie won, they, he would have went on to face Sami Kadaka at sumo hall, and he's facing the ace Hiroshima. And it's great because Hiroshima is, you know, Hiroshima, he's a great big match worker. Mm-hmm. He's so great at working the slower pace and breaking someone down. And then Irie is such a lovable baby face that, you know, when he's getting, you know, all worked up and angry and passionate and trying his best to beat Hiroshima and he just can't, you really feel for the guy. You really yeah. feel for Irie because he's such like a easy to root for character. He's kind of goofy, but at the same time, you know, you can't help but, you know, like him or find him endearing in some capacity. And you want to see him succeed against the biggest guy in the company, and he just falls short again. And it's a really well-told story, some great action, and it continued the Hiroshima-Irie rivalry, which is a really great in-ring feud. I think worth noting is the fact that, like, um, 
that despite the fact that this feud is so one-sided and eerie uh, compared to Harashima is like so um, so much more of an endearing character at no point do you ever feel like that Harashima is like malicious or that he's the bad guy in the situation he just yeah. happens to be better and it's it's I think it speaks to the to the the abilities as the ace of the company that Harashima has that that I think I mean in some ways like I think he's a better ace than someone like Masawa because at no point do I feel that Harashima is like I don't know holding certain guys down whereas with Masawa I definitely did feel that way yeah it's like you know you can say that Harashima lets himself be vulnerable mm-hmm. and there's a problem I've had with Masawa in some ways when I watched it even though he's still an all time great worker is that when he's the ace it feels like he's the ace and no one comes close mm-hmm. when Harashima is he's the ace and there's some people that you know get close sometimes like say Kudo or Ibushi or Irie sometimes or Kenny Omega or any of these people that you know try him but he still finds a way to win it doesn't totally. feel like it doesn't feel like outright domination even it's it's, we, an, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, so uh, what's your 56? My 56 was um, a match that was recommended to me by our friend Harrison, Tiger Millionaire. Uh, and it sort of took me by surprise by like how great it was. It was uh, Donovan Dijak versus John Klinger, the man formerly known as Bad Bones from WXW Dead End 15. It's... Uh, we've mentioned before how great Dijak is as this heel, even though you want to you know, cheer him sometimes. He's he's incredible as a heel as well. And beating down this local legend who the crowd is in such like fervent support of is spectacular. Like they 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 build things in a simple and an effective way that you get so into John Klinger making this comeback against this big foreign giant and the crowd is like literally singing for the man and you just you buy into it so hard I have like in all my years of wrestling I can only count a couple of crowds that have made me get into a match more than this crowd made me get into this match it's it's if for nothing else it's worth seeing just for this reaction I'm surprised you had this because I didn't see you talk about this match much younger. I probably I probably it was only recently, like only a couple weeks ago. Okay. And I probably did it in the middle of the night because that's when I <laughs> that's when I watch most of my wrestling. Alright, fair enough. But yeah, it's a really good match, so I'm glad you had it. It'll probably uh-huh. be the high man on that match. Um my number fifty five, I'm not sure if you have this or not, is Shuji Ishikawa versus Kazusada Higuchi from DDT. Sadly didn't get to see this one. I've heard such great things about it. Man, this is really great because the video package DDT um, plays... Well, first of all, all of DDT's video packages are awesome. They're so good. (laughs) But this one in particular is interesting because they're showing young Shuji Shikawa, you know, working these DDT shows when he's first starting out. And he's like skinny and he's a young boy and all this stuff. He's got like shorts on. They're not long pants. It's so funny. Back when he was... uh, Oh, what was his name back then? Oh, God, I forgot what his name was. It was... um. It was like Kudo or something. It wasn't Kudo, obviously, but something. So, like, they're showing um, highlights of young Shuji Ishikawa, and they're showing where he is now. And then they're showing that in, you know, comparison to Kazusada Higuchi, who's the new young guy. Mm-hmm. And it's a great um, feeling story, I think, of Shuji Ishikawa had been running through the entire company. He had ran through... Uh, Kanasake Takashida, he ran through Tetsuya Endo, 
He'd won the tag team titles earlier in the year. He's now the DDT KD Openweight Champ. So he's dominating everybody. And then Kazusada Higuchi shows up. And he's young, but he's hungry, and this is the biggest opportunity that he's gotten so far. Mm-hmm. And they go out there, and it feels like two like titans colliding. Where They're big it, boys. Like Ishikawa is the established, you know, god. And then Kazusada Higuchi is, like, right there knocking on his door, saying that, you know, you can only hold on to this part of the world for so long before I take it from you, or that he's mm-hmm. right there. Like, he is not that far off, essentially. Is that Ishikawa does all of his stuff, and it doesn't ever feel like Higuchi doesn't belong. Which sure. is insane to say for Higuchi, who I don't even think is two or three years into the business yet. He's like one and a half, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not far. The presence and aura he has is uncanny. Kid's something special. It's, un, it's uncanny how he, you know, can be, you know, so inexperienced and just have that kind of uh, legitimacy when facing Ishikawa, who is just a complete monster. And Higuchi loses, but that, that's a star-making performance there. Mm-hmm. You know, Higuchi showed why he belonged. Higuchi showed why some people are so high on him. And it's a tremendous match. Uh, some brutal headbutts, um, as um, usual with Shuji Ishikawa matches. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's tremendous stuff that um, Higuchi is, uh, he's, he's something else, man. <laughs> I definitely have to get around to seeing that. That was your number uh, 55, correct? Yeah, 55. All right, we're we're uh, closing in on this halfway mark. My number fifty-five was um, a match I feel so oddly about because in some ways it's like really typical, um, or in some ways the most typical. But at the same time, it excels in what it's trying to do, and it's Triple H defending the WWE World Title against Dean Ambrose at WWE Roadblock. See, I knew you'd have this, and I'm glad that you have it. I'm hot, you know, have it this high. Uh, do you have it on this list? No, I don't have it. It barely missed my list. Okay. But I'm, I had a feeling that, that like it, you would have it, so we can talk about that anyway. It's like, it feels like such a, a run-of-the-mill WWE main event match until it kicks it into high gear at the end with like this dusty finish. And it just becomes like an utter spectacle of sports entertainment. Like, I don't know if there was a more... WWE centric WWE match this year, like it, uh, it. This was this was what I wanted out of WrestleMania. This was what I wanted out of the Royal Rumble, and it's not what we got for a variety of reasons. But it was, it was this crowd that was so into Dean Ambrose winning this title and Dean Ambrose playing with that well and Triple H playing with that well and them crafting like this this really dramatic match that didn't that I mean it simultaneously didn't feel over the top and did but. In the end, it still made my list, so obviously I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing to me how it was essentially a filler title defense. So, yeah, totally. But it got over so well yeah. that it made people question, like, why the fuck is Roman Reigns made event in WrestleMania? <laughs> exactly. This is, there's no way that Ambrose would have won the title eventually if not for this match. Yeah, like, they realized, like, oh, man, like, this guy is uh, pretty over. And I think that's, you know, like you said... That that was a real uh, eye opener for mm-hmm. how big Ambrose can be because obviously he wound up winning the title eventually and had a pretty good reign I thought, but yeah I mean this was a real eye opener for people who thought the ship on Ambrose had passed. 
It's uh, I don't. It, it feels like such a typical Triple H match that like in the past I've I've hated so much, but here it just works. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think a lot of that is the crowd and them buying into yeah. that finish. Yeah, like, this was yeah. what Toronto, I think, right? Yeah, yeah this is in Canada. Okay. Yeah, so this is in Toronto, I think. Um, so my number fifty-four. You haven't said this yet, so I'm not sure how you feel about this match. Okay. Heroes eventually die. Tommy End and Chris Hero versus Zack Sabre Jr. and Sammy Callahan. I am shocked that I have this higher than you do. I mean, yeah, I probably should have it a little bit higher, but I wouldn't have it much higher than where I have it now. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to shame you about oh, it. No, it's no, just... like you know, like realistically, I wasn't going to have this like you know in my um top you know third or anything. Okay. It's a, uh, I don't, it's a, it's a weird match in some ways, and we'll talk about it later. But I'm, I'm very surprised that I liked it. Well, not necessarily that I liked it more, but that I had it higher ranked. Right. So my 54 was a match that we brought up earlier, and it's Katsuyori Shibata defending his newly won never open weight title against Tomohiro Ishii at the New Beginning in Osaka. Um, this is like. You're totally on the money by saying that, like, this match was, like, really goofy and over the top with the, the trading suplexes spot. Like, that is so dumb <laughs> as, a, as a spot idea uh, that, like, I can't defend it. It's, in a lot of ways, this match is, like, the penultimate, or, or or I think the ultimate. I'm using that word incorrectly. This is, like, the ultimate uh, culmination of the matches that these two have had with each other over the last, like, three years or so. Um and it's it's unflinchingly sticking to that ideal of these two, like, doing stupid things against each other, both in the realm of kayfabe and in reality. Um, and so for that reason, like, it's, I can understand why people don't like it. And on some level, like, parts of it really bother me. But the good that is good here is so good. And it's it's so, like, jaw-droppingly stiff. And I really like it. Yeah. You know, when I was, like, I guess, was like, a. I guess criticizing it, it wasn't like me saying the match is bad because I really do love that match. Sure, but it was me like differentiating what I think made the Wrestle Kingdom ten match mm. better. Where, totally. Where even though Ishii letting you know Shibata kick him is dumb, it makes <laughs> sense on some yeah. level. Where yeah, yeah. trading suplexes, I don't see any you know reason that's for such, that other than them being that's dumb. such a magnitude of dumbness higher yeah, it's <laughs> like, like you know <laughs> I understand Ishii thinking he's so tough that he can take a kick from an MMA fighter yeah I don't understand why they're fighting suplexes yeah I don't under, it's weird that, that they would be like okay now you lift me up to slam me down that's a yes. whole different thing <laughs> <laughs> so that's like that's it there but I do like that match so but it's yeah like even even with all this dumbness it's like I can I can appreciate that dumbness in a lot of ways so, my 53 is a match where, um, I saw you tweet about it earlier. Okay. So, I know you have it higher than me. So, it's Kazuchika Okada versus Tomohiro Ishii from the G1. Yeah, I do have this higher. Uh, that's, that's a match that I really, uh, that really benefited from me rewatching it. Like, I really loved it a lot more on the second watch, and we'll, we'll talk about it here in a bit. All right. My 53rd ranked match was... Another one from Beyond Wrestling. It was from their first show of the year, The Dream Left Behind, on January the 31st. And it pits the knockout artist, Chris Hero, against the bulldozer, Matt Tremont. Did you end up seeing this one? Yeah, I saw it. But, I mean, yeah, I actually, yeah, I didn't remember like, liking this quite a bit. It's almost oh, okay. a time remember because I didn't, like, I didn't keep track of everything I watched last year. So, like, I was like, oh, Chris Hero versus Matt Tremont. When did that happen? 
It was like, oh yeah, I did watch that. It's um, it's it's weird. Like, I love Matt Tremont. Obviously, like I'm a huge CCW fan. I'm a huge Deathmatch fan, and I and I think he in particular is is one of the best guys to come out of that scene in so long. Um, and it's his interactions with Hero are so interesting because they're not what Hero goes up against normally. Like there's um, Hero faces a lot of guys in wrestling, but you know these days uh, with the the level he's at in the independent scene, he has a rotating cast of characters that he usually faces off against. You know, like one out of every five Chris Hero matches is going to be from this group of people. But Matt Tremont in this first time matchup is so in a different league like in a different sport even, the hero doesn't know what to do. And Tremont is actually able to like dominate him in such an interesting way that toys with the hero bully formula. And it kind of sucks that the crowd's not into it as much as I'd like, but like it's such a fun twist on an established classic. Right. So that was your 53? That was my 53. All right. So we're almost near the end here. We're getting close. All right. So I know you have this match higher. Which is uh, way more crossover in this portion, I thought. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, my number 52 is Jonathan Gresson versus Joe Gacy from CZW Cage of Death. I actually don't have this on my list. What? Yeah, I, um, we've talked about it because it's it's got this incredible John Gresham performance, and I agree with that. But, uh, I don't know. It's not that I don't like Joe Gacy, but it, it takes two to tango, you know what I mean? Yeah, but, that, okay. So, other than Jonathan Gresham being amazing here, yep, <laughs> and him like cutting mid-match promos on Joe Gacy and destroying everything in his path, uh huh. I thought Joe Gacy was really good in this match. I thought he was really good selling his leg because Jonathan Gresham is going after him, mm-hmm. and Gacy I thought was really great selling his leg. And look, with a heel performance that strong, it'd be really hard to drop the ball there. Sure. But Joe Gacy, I thought, turned into like really good performance as a valiant babyface defending the honor of CZW. Yeah, he you holds know, his own. You know, like Jonathan Gresham is this guy that's talking down to deathmatch wrestlers, and I came in here, and I'm the best technical wrestler in the world, and I came in here and won your title. <laughs> and Joe Gacy, you know, I don't have that. I don't have this attachment to, to CZW that you have, so which, which is why it's weird I have it. But he feels like a guy that's defending CZW's honor, mm. and he ends this dude who's like making a mockery of the championship I'm not sure why it just didn't hit me in the same way maybe it's um, I remember thinking when when Gresham did win the title that it was it was interesting because I didn't know where he went from there and where the belt went from there and thinking about who might defeat him was an interesting thing and, and my friends and I came up with some different scenarios and maybe it's just because Joe Gacy didn't fit in with that that it didn't hit me in such the same way but I don't know. This is it's a real good match. It just didn't make with the top one hundred. Man, I am like legitimately shocked this is not on your list. <laughs> sure, totally. I was like so sure that you had this higher than me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's weird that I don't have it at all. Alright, so um you're fifty two. My fifty two is uh, a match we talked about earlier that you said you didn't love so much, but I did because it is right up my alley. It's the squared circle of survival match between Timothy Thatcher and Drew Gulak. It's it's slow, it's brutal, it's 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 the combination of the deathmatch roots that these guys have with like their incredible grappling skill. It's um uh it it's got some 
I usually complain about like set piece spots in wrestling, like spots that are like obviously put in to make things feel dramatic that that stand out in a weird way. But there's one in particular here with Drew Gulak rising from beneath the ring <laughs> and, and the face that Timothy Thatcher and Stokely Hathaway make when they see him is just incredible. It's it's a flawed match, but like I love it so much. It's one of those things that's like it feels like it's booked just for me. I think I'd like it more if the finish didn't bother me so much. Totally. And it's because there were already so many back suplexes on the exposed wood that happened. Yeah. That the fact that Thatcher put him away with an exposed, you know, back suplex on the wood, it's like, okay, that's the one that ends him. It's like, you can you can argue that, like, it, it just takes one little move, and if you do just about anything on the exposed wood, it could put a guy away, but I agree, it, it feels really anticlimactic. Yes, I mean, I, it w- if it would just have been, like, one back suplex and they built to it uh-huh. as a death move, then that would have been it. But the fact that they already did, like, two or three of them already... Yeah, and if, and then they do it as a as a finish. That doesn't seem like you know the match is actually you know reaching a climax. That seems like it never actually reaches where it's supposed to go. It just kind of ends in a way where it's like, oh, okay, you already you already did that move you know five minutes yeah. ago, but all right. And it's a shame because everything that comes before it is like some really uh, fun to watch, brutal like quasi deathmatch wrestling. Yeah, I enjoy the match a lot. So. Like just like the finish is like is what bugged me, but all right, I'm on my last match mm-hmm. for this part, and this I'm not sure you have either. Okay, but Chris Hero versus Timothy Thatcher from Evolve uh, 63, I think. Don't let me check. Actually, I don't think I have it. I believe you are alone in this one. All right. Um, the thing about this match is that other than Chris Hero and Timothy Thatcher just having fantastic chemistry, this was the match that reminded people that it turned on Thatcher that he's still really good. Mm-hmm. You know, for most of the year, Thatcher taking a beating. And this felt like a match that was um kind of to rejuvenate Thatcher. Yeah. And give him new life where so many people had turned on him. And it's what you expect from Chris Hero and Thatcher they have great like chemistry with like when they grapple, you know, when Hero faces Thatcher, he gets to, you know, bust out his fancy mat work that he doesn't get to do with any anyone else really. Mm-hmm. Um once it gets brutal, it gets really brutal with headbutts and chops and I just like the fact that Chris Hero adjusted his formula enough to fit Thatcher in and it made Thatcher shine in a way that he really desperately needed. Yeah, very it's, much so. This was this was an important match for Thatcher. Yeah, so it may not be, you know, the best match, but it's a very important match to a guy not completely flopping. Mm. It's uh, you, you compare this to like the other title matches he'd had earlier in the year against, like what Caleb Conley yeah, and like, Sammy Callahan. Like, it was like thirty and, minutes for no reason. Yeah, and and the two Riddle matches, which are weird. Partially due to booking and partially due to, I think, I'm not sure if those two are all that great together. But it, but this was head and shoulders above all of that. And it was it was a big deal for Thatcher to have this match. And it got him back on the right track, I think. Yeah, so um, to close out this part of the episode. Oh boy. All right, what is your 51? My 51 is uh, a match that it took me quite a while to see 
um, partially just because I take so long to watch PWG, but partially because like I wasn't sure how this one was going to work, and I was worried that I wasn't going to like it because it's my favorite wrestler in the world, Chuck Taylor, taking on his life mate, Trent, in a hardcore match at PWG 13. I should have saw this coming. You, you probably should have, yeah. Um, I there, There's a whole lot of reasons that I like Dustin as a wrestler. Um, and it's a person, which is part of the reason why I like him as a wrestler too. Uh, there's a whole lot of reasons why I like Chuck Taylor and why I like this match in particular. And I think first and foremost that it feels so different from the rest of PWG. Like it's still, it still starts off as th- this really uh, cute comedy match that is pretty run of the mill in Reseda, but they build into this like story driven hardcore match that we haven't seen the likes of since. Since like Human Tornado versus Chris Hero, so it's like and that yo, was so it's like yo Drake Younger versus Sammy Catlin. <laughs> yeah, that's another good example. Like it's been it's been so long since we've seen something like this in pro wrestling gorilla. Like not even the Gorilla Warfare match uh, tag matches recently have have come close to replicating. I don't want to say the same brutality, but the same vibe. Okay, like, and it, the, like the thing about this match is that like the way it, like the way it escalates kind of happens out of nowhere. Uh-huh. Because, like, when they book the match, it's like, you know, okay, it's like best friends colliding. You know, sure. you're thinking it was going to just maybe be a comedy match. Totally. But they take it completely left field. And I think, you know, that's a really um, good testament to both of these guys where they give you something totally different than what you might have expected. Yeah. And it's and it, and it works for, like, I'm sure not everyone watching watching it would feel the same way because they don't have the same emotional connection to these guys. But, like, watching it, it's like this kind of emotional thing to see these these guys after like months and months and almost years of building up this friendship uh, and having it slowly crumble in, in ways in and out of the ring to see this come to a head in such like a big blow off that feels huge, despite not being like that crazy of a death match. It's, it's really something special and it stands out in PWG. Like I really enjoyed it. It's a big blow-off that you didn't expect to be a big blow-off. Like, totally. And the thing is, is that going into the match, there was even the added narrative that both of these guys were under, like, were on winning streaks. Uh-huh. So it was like, you know, something has to give here, and which one of these, um, you know, best friends are going to, you know, you know still, like, stop their winning streak. Yeah. And, yeah. Th- I love this match for the unpredictability that it brought. Mm-hmm. This it's, uh, it feels it it came out of nowhere. It's a real yeah. It's like a match. totally it's a totally unique match, and yeah, this is something that was uh, maybe because it could have even like you know seen you having higher since you're like so passionate about it, and it is because like, <laughs> it is such a unique match. Yeah, but uh, I mean that's it for this installment of Psychology is Dead in our top 100 matches of 2016. Whoa. Next installment we'll actually be doing 50 to 1. Brock, we actually made it under 3 hours. I'm surprised by that. I'm surprised that I don't feel like dying quite yet. Uh, this was this was a lot of fun. Alright, so uh, we will be ready to go tomorrow to record the second half. Oh, you're going to give the people a peek behind the scenes. Tell them when we're recording and everything. <laughs>
Now let these things have gone slip down to where my head once sunk and drowned. Just to wait for a while to see my body has merged to the deep cruising. But my soul flows, let's reward the smiles, the storylines. The soul is broken down the borderlines. To cause the tide, to enforce the bind. This old ocean has moved in time. I'll destroy my. 